the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Story is just breaking. This is very interesting. And to all of our folks that are on uh, Facebook, you can look this up while we're talking about this. But uh, you remember a couple of years ago uh, in Ohio, there was this um, family execution of a family. Do you remember there was an execution of four family members? Somebody went to their home and just killed everybody. Do you remember that? Maybe vaguely. Do you remember that, Russ? You don't remember it? Yeah, I I remember this. So two years after that, uh, they've solved it. It was eight family members, in fact. They killed eight people. Oh, wow. And uh, they announced yesterday that four members of a different family had been arrested and accused of carrying out the murders. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine said the suspects, a husband, wife, and their two adult sons, were arrested in connection with the Roden family murders. Quote, following an extensive investigation by my offices and the Pike County Sheriff's Office, we have arrested four people accused of the murders of eight people accused of, of eight people in Pike County on April 22nd of 2016. Now, don't you know that these people thought they'd gotten away with it? Well, you would think they probably thought about it. The four suspects arrested were George Billy Wagner III, Angela Wagner, and sons George Wagner IV and Edward J. Jake Wagner. The Wagners had close business and family relations with the Roden family before the April 2016 murders, according to the Cincinnati Inquirer. The killings in Piketon, located 70 miles south of Columbus, Ohio, sparked the largest homicide investigation in Ohio history. That's a pretty big set of people. Uh, you got four people that they've arrested now and accused of this, but there's eight people who are dead. Right. I mean, that's, that's not a small killing. So uh, last year, authorities announced they were looking for the Wagners and information on them. Edward J. Wagner has a young daughter, Sophia, with Hannah Roden, one of the members of the murdered family. The Wagners were not initially named as suspects or persons of interest, but had moved to Kenai, Alaska, two months after the killings before moving back to Ohio over the summer. In August of this year, It was reported that two properties were searched in connection with the killings, but authorities never disclosed what was seized. Autopsy reports released earlier this year revealed the sheer brutality of the massacre and how one of the victims tried to fight back. The report in September revealed that Christopher Roden Sr., the father of three people killed that day, was shot nine times. And it was noted his body was decomposed more than all the others. He appeared to have suffered a defensive wound to his right forearm, 
and that another bullet went through a door before hitting him, the Inquirer reported at the time. His body was found in the back bedroom of a trailer. Gary Roden, Christopher Roden Sr.'s cousin, was also found dead in the same trailer, according to the newspaper. The report indicated a gun had been pressed to his head. Christopher Roden Sr.'s brother, Kenneth Roden, 44, his ex-wife, Dana Manley Roden, 38, and their three children, Clarence Frankie Roden, 20, Hannah Roden, 19, and Chris Roden Jr., 16, were also killed in the slains. Clarence Roden's fiance, Hannah Gilly, 20, was also murdered. Heavily redacted versions of the report showed all but one of the victims was shot multiple times in the head. What the type accident. of bullet used was public, wasn't publicly released. Toxology res, uh, results were also blacked out. Kenneth Roden was found dead in a camper three miles from where Christopher was shot dead. He died of a single gunshot entered in his right eye. Hmm. Dwayne has previously said that Christopher Roden Sr. had a large-scale marijuana growing operation, sparking speculation that the killings were drug-related. The arrests were the culmination of a massive investigative effort since seven adults and a teenage boy were found shot in the head at four homes in April of 2016. Investigators scrambling to determine who targeted the Roden family and why had conducted over 130 interviews and possessed over 100 pieces of evidence and 550 tips while getting assistance from more than 20 law enforcement agencies. Authorities had refused to discuss many details about the slain, saying they didn't want to tip their hand to whoever was responsible for the shootings. Additional details were to be announced at a news conference uh, later today. Unbelievable. Did you pull the mic over? Did you hear what would you remember the rodent killing? Yeah, in I Ohio? remember it, but I eight people. Right, but I don't remember. Is there new development about? Well, they it? arrested four people. All right, uh, they've been accused of it. They had very close ties. Uh, to this family that was murdered. Uh, in fact, one of the members of the family who murdered this family, evidently, had a child with one of the daughters of this family, and another one was engaged to one of the daughters of this family. It's quite a mess. This oh. is crazy. So were they were they competitors in the drug trade? I don't know. It doesn't so, go in and say that. So they didn't. Sound like the Hatfields and McCoys, huh? It turned out bad for one family and. To think that this other family took off and went to Alaska, and then they came back to the same area again. Mm. Now, that's kind of interesting as well. What yeah. area is this in? Uh, Ohio. Just Ohio. about 70 miles south of Columbus. Okay. Hmm. So, what, you know, just an, interest, wow. just an interesting end or beginning mm. of a prosecution. I'll be following this uh, story well, now. We hope justice is served. Yeah. Ab- oh, absolutely. So, the, so the, one of the interesting developments was I, I, I guess was that this family that was killed was um they were marijuana growers i guess yeah one of them evidently it, there was rumors out there that he was a a big time operator in growing mm-hmm. marijuana well, and, and, and sometimes uh, drugs deal deals go bad and you're not right. dealing with the most honest it, people well, that, if you're that's, dealing that's, with something that's illegal well, that's one of the problems with prohibition is that when you artificially make things illegal then they go underground. You can't use the courts anymore. Courts help to, to actually reduce violence when people can actually sue each other instead of killing each other. 
It's, wow. uh, it actually helps. The youngest of the eight Ohio family members found slain in execution cell. By the way, they were all, all of them, all eight of them shot multiple times in the head. Whoever it was wanted to make sure no witnesses. I mean, that one, the the the, the uh, patriarch of the group, the senior, was shot nine times. Mm. And they said that he had been, when they found him, his body was already decomposing, so he had been shot early on mm-hmm. in this thing. Mm. But uh, the rest of this, hold on, I'm trying to get my, I'm, yeah, I'm still the, trying to learn my phone. <laughs> what does it say? It said they, were they all shot in the head at least once, and then maybe one of them was only shot one time, but, but when you, get shot, when you get shot, shot in the, the head, head, when you get shot in the head, it's it's a... It says shot, all members were shot in the head mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. That would have said, wow. Wow. So the you know, youngest so. of this uh, family, found slain in execution-style murders, uh, received a threat on Facebook before the mass killings. That came out from the Attorney General's office on Monday. Christopher Roden, Jr., a 16-year-old freshman at Piketon High School, was the subject of the threat. That's according to CBS News locally in Columbus. Aware of the Facebook threat? Mike DeWine said, every piece of information is valuable, and our investigators are certainly taking it into consideration. The threat is just one emerging piece of evidence in this investigation, which has also uncovered a marijuana-growing operation at some of the properties where the eight were killed, plus cockfighting chickens. Mm. Seven of the relatives were were shot uh, multiple times in the head, according to autopsy results released yesterday. One family member's body showed nine bullet wounds. Some bodies also had bruising, which matched a report from a 911 caller who said two appeared to have been beaten up. So, um, amazing. So, you know, just goes to show no statute of limitations on murder. So, it well, took them two years, but they've, they've, well, more than two years, because it happened in April. And they just made the arrest so yesterday. About two and a half years. Huh? Yeah, two and a half. It's years. more important than get it right. Sometimes, if you're sure, well, you got to get all your. It is, you got to get all your facts straight. Yeah, you know, I won't say you got get all your chickens lined in a row, but you got to get all your ducks lined up. Yeah, get you know, them all lined or something up. Something like that. Unbelievable. There was a drug dealer in the area that I was doing business in, and I contacted the authorities, and they said we are fully aware. <laughs> We're making an encyclopedia. We're working, and on it, it will be taken care of. Yeah. So I gave them some time, and I was just careful when I was at my business at night because yeah. I knew what was going on next door. But mm. eventually, they did an excellent job and put them away for a very long time. Did they show up one morning, and <laughs> or did they? I, I, I did wasn't they show there up when it went down. Boom! And open up the door. I, I wasn't there in. when it went down, but that was twenty <coughs> years ago, and the person that was responsible is still in jail twenty years later. No, he was he was dealing so massive it, it, drugs. It was then. a big deal. It was it was like a a real business going on next door. Okay, so when we come back, you uh, the three of us are going to talk about the California fires. Started by an unattended campfire. Hmm. All right. Now, because of that, 44 people are dead. Oh, wow. More expected to be found dead. It's wiped out entire communities. <laughs> um, what was it? What, what place was it in the story? Is it search for bodies continued Monday, and Butte, Butte County Sheriff uh, Corey Honea said more than 200 people in 
and around the northern California town of Paradise were unaccounted for four days after the fire all but wiped it off the map. The town of 27,000 people is quarantined without power and has no operational businesses. You know what really ticks me off about this story is the sidebar stories. Celebrities who lost their homes. Poor babies. Makes me want to throw up. Who cares? They can rebuild their homes. They probably got the money to do it. There's people that, you know, just normal people that are going to have all kinds of problems getting on with their lives and stuff. You should be sorry for the celebrities. No, I'm not. All right. I'm sorry that they lost their homes. Yes. But they're no different than the average Joe and Joette. Personally, I think as acting Attorney General Whitaker needs to uh, indict um, Jerry Brown (laughs) for murder. I want to talk about this when we come back because of the California environmental laws that they want to blame all this on climate change. Turn the state into a matchbox. I want you to hear from somebody about that. And then I want to talk about what the law won't let them do. And what set this up? I mean, when there's six feet of undergrowth, what do you expect to happen? Uncle Sam, hey, he's licking his chops right now. He can't wait for you to retire because he could tax you at every turn, like taxes on your IRA and your 401k, taxes on your Social Security benefits, and taxes on your investment income. It can be a field day for the government unless you take the steps to defend yourself now. You're invited to a special one-time screening of the documentary film, The Tax Train is Coming. That's happening on Thursday, November 29th at the UA Breckenridge Theater here in Little Rock, hosted by David Lucas's show. Uh, You hear that on 101.1 FM, The Answer, every Saturday at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Now, that special event is free, but it's limited to just 90 people. So if you've saved... Half a million dollars for retirement. Call to uh, reserve your free ticket now because that half a million dollars, about half of it could be taxed right out of existence from you. 501-653-6690 is the number to call. 501-653-6690. Once again, 501-653-6690. All right, so what's going on in California is terrible. As I said, 44 people are dead. They're expecting many many more bodies to be found this was caused by a campfire that got out of control i mean when when it's dry it all takes you'll say it doesn't take much at all takes a spark right i mean like just here in arkansas sometimes when you when we've had a drought for a while it's get it gets scary dangerous because the grass is so stinky let me ask you a question when's the last time you saw wildfires out of control in the state of Arkansas. You don't see it. It's been about 25 or 30 years. It's yeah. been a long and why time. Why is that? Well, the Forestry Service up in the Ozarks does an excellent job burning the underbrush yeah. and keeping it all. They, they do they control, do control burns. burns all the time. They actually can't do that in if, California. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. They do free control burns up in the Ozarks. You mm-hmm. can call the Forestry Service. They'll come out and, and help you. And they'll with come it. out and help you. Well, with that, it. that and we have Arkansans that will help each other put fires out. But that that may be something they don't really have in California. I don't know. But okay. in my in my neck of the woods, when I see somebody with a with their their pasture on fire, I'll go help them. The U.S. Forest Service, which is tasked with managing public wildland, once had success 
in minimizing widespread fires in the early 20th century. But many of these successful methods have been abandoned in California because of efforts by the wonderful environmental activists, the tree huggers out there. You know, I know you want you want all these trees to be able to grow and you want to walk around and breathe the clean air and, and look at the forest. Well, you, guess what? Come to Arkansas. We'll let you do that. You can look around at all the trees that you want to because this state has more trees than a lot of states does. But we take care of our forests. We don't just let them grow wild. And that's what they're doing now in California. Well, that's just one of those – it's one of the hippie th- – the new hippie things is, that, well, we want things to be natural and perfect. And I'm sorry. The fact is that that God put people on earth. When he put Adam in the garden, he, he put him in there to tend the garden. The fact is when we actually – we call it husbandry. When we, when we put – when people engage in um, agricultural pursuits, even including um, forestry – and tree growing, we make things better because we actually add our labor to it and actually manage forest and wherever else, and we improve them. It's good for wildlife and everything else. Usually what you're burning when you do a control burn, you're burning out what we call briar patches. Garbage. Yeah, uh, blackberry bushes that grow out of control. Green briar. Yeah. And, uh, I hate green briar. I think yeah. those things should be terminated <laughs> and, with uh, due prejudice. Actually, they just, actually green Spring Hill might, hap- might be happy about you saying that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that stuff will tear you up. Well, interesting thing Paul, about, Paul, knew, Paul uh, caught that joke. A, a, right a, little, a little bit of a um, side note on the green briars. They're actually edible when they're nice and, and Well, that's and good. Soft. You can eat, if you want to eat I them and get been, rid of them, yeah. I'm all about no, it. I haven't start, been that hungry no, yet. No, 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 I haven't either. But when they're really fresh and green, when they're very new, they're very soft okay. very very soft but but when before they, they get the four inch when, thorns when, them, when right? they start getting harder they're they're very tough well, i like briars. honeysuckles and yeah. i like the smell of them but if you let them go out of control sure. you can't even walk through your they're, property they're the, the deer can't get through them or, or, or anything yeah, they just go everywhere and just tie up between trees and everything yeah, that's exactly right so Sweet. you got to keep that in control if you own the property or not but but up in the Ozarks, you can if you've got brush growing up like that, then the Forestry Service come will come in, in and they'll give you burns. advice, and they'll even do the Help burning do for you. Yeah. Okay, let me let me read this few uh, paragraphs here before we get to break because that's coming up in three minutes. The Forest Service became more costly and less effective as it has increased. Rewarded forest managers for losing money on environmentally questionable pri- uh, practices. That's according to Cato Institute. Spending on the Forest Service has risen drastically, but these additional resources have been misused, haven't solved any of the underlying issues. Quote, fire expenditures, or fighting the fires, have grown from less than 15% of the Forest Service budget in California from the early 1990s to now 50%. Forest Service fire expenditures have increased from less than $1 billion to $3.5 billion in 2016. Perhaps now Americans will begin to reevaluate forest management policies. In a May congressional hearing, Representative Tom McClintock of California said, 45 years ago, we began imposing laws that have made the management of our forests all but impossible. He went on to say that federal authorities have done a poor job of implementing methods to reduce the number of deadly fires, and this has been devastating. Uh, for America's wildlands. Time and again, we see vivid boundaries between the young, healthy, growing forests 
that are managed by state, local, and private landowners and the choked, dying, or burned federal force, McClintock said. Uh, the laws of the past 45 years have not only failed to protect the forest environment, uh, they have done immeasurable harm in our force. And he goes on to blame bad 1970s laws like the National Environmental Policy Act and the Endangered Species Act. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinnick has promoted a change to forest management policies calling for a more aggressive approach to reduce excessive vegetation that makes the fires worse. We were were just talking about that. We'll talk more about this in a moment. This is reactions to the people that, you know, we love Mother Nature. Junk science. Yeah, yeah, and they play, they base all their stuff on drunk, junk science. It's not climate change, folks. This is just bad management. Well, you're it talking about California. Is all it is. You're talking about California. This seconds. place is a desert. You're talking about California is basically a desert in a lot of these places. And so when you manage the the, the, the land poorly, you can really make some some set up some disasters waiting to happen. All right. Well, you're going to hear more about it in a second when we come back. Got some sound for you to hear, and then. I'll just tear you loose on it. It's uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. News is next. All right, back with you. State uh, representative, Democrat from uh, California, Representative Garamendi, cut five, had this to say about the wildfires. That's what everybody is suspecting. Now, let me get your thoughts on the awful situation in your home state of California. You're a former lieutenant governor of California, the fires that are going on. This is what the president over the weekend tweeted about the fires. There is no reason for these massive, deadly and costly forest fires in California, except that forest management is so poor. Billions of dollars are given each year with so many lives lost, all because of the gross mismanagement of the forest. Remedy now or no more, no more Fed payments. What's your reaction to that? I don't think I can say it on television. Say what this you can. <laughs> By the way, we're, the showing, we're showing some live pictures of Los Angeles County right now. But this you can man, see the smoke. The president simply doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand that 31 people have lost their lives, that an entire community of 26,000 people is totally destroyed. It is gone. The homes are gone. Cars lined up across the roads. He doesn't understand. He has no empathy. He doesn't have any humanity. People have died. People have lost everything. And he comes up with this crazy, bizarre tweet that has no relevance to what is actually happening. It's not a forest problem. It is a global climate change problem. It is hot. It is dry. It is California in the future, we're going to have to make changes to be sure. But when the president says no more money, come on. Okay, we'll calm down here. We'll go about protecting California as best we can. But we do need federal help. People need to be able to rebuild, and we must rebuild our communities so that they are sustainable and resilient. We want to wish everyone in, in your district Absolutely. throughout the state of California. These are my good neighbors. Luck. This is an awful situation. we got a, some more reporting on this coming up this hour. Uh, we're going to go to the scene of those fires as well. Congressman Garamendi, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we got to talk about that. You gotta, <laughs> we have got to talk about the The president has no empathy. No. He has empathy. He said, Actually, "How?" No, let me clarify. I can't that. hear you. Let me let, hold on a second. Empathy means he that he has been through this exactly. 
He's he may have about sympathy for these people, but he does not I'm have. Looking, I'm looking over. I'm sorry. I got to turn my mic on. I keep doing editing over. I looked. Here. I looked over, and you're I'm just sorry. going off. You know. I know. I'm getting. I'm getting all. <laughs> I, I'm going to clarify something for you, Dave, because yeah. empathy means he has been through this. No, he does not have empathy for these people. He he cannot say that he has been through this wildfire like what California is going through right now. So he has no empathy for them, but he does have sympathy for them. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Well, here's the thing, though, that drives me crazy about what he just said, is that he acts by using whatever word he wants to use about the presence not feeling the emotional connection to California or something. Yeah, he starts off. Play, play that again. Just listen to what the president said first. Okay, here it is. That's what everybody is suspecting. Now, let me get your thoughts on the awful situation in your home state of California. You're a former lieutenant governor of California. The fires that are going on. This is what the president over the weekend tweeted about the fires. There is no reason for these massive, deadly, and costly forest fires in California, except that forest management is so poor. Billions of dollars are given right, each year we'll stop it right so many there. lives. There is no reason for these terrible fires that are ravaging California, basically. And there isn't. It's a bunch of frickin' ignorant environmental activists who have brought this on the people of California. Our federal government has been complicit in it as well. Yeah, and then and the, bound down to it. Well, and, and then to say that it's all about... Here's the other thing. It's all about global warming. Folks, it has been hot in California and dry in California for as long as California has been a state. It's the most ridiculous stuff that I've ever yeah, heard of. A, a lot of the state has been desert. And one of the reasons why part of it is green is because they truck in, or they don't truck in, they, they move in, they pull in so much water from other other places and, and and even that's been been interrupted by what some salamanders or something, or is it um, toads? But um, when we have these people that are um, placing animals that may or may not even exist in the areas over the lives of people, we end up with problems. And then when we have these people that are that are falling all over themselves about this junk science with a global warming scare, and how many people are dying because of that? I mean, yeah, maybe this fire was technically sparked by a uh, a campfire that was left unattended. But at some point, when you basically turn an entire countryside into a a tinderbox, at some point, then the the people who caused that are are, are to some some extent responsible. If you don't take care of the force, if the government is not doing their job, they're spending most of their, their money on trying to control the fires. I dare say that if you go back and do a, um, a study, and, and I'll take some time out to do this uh, uh, before next week, yep. and look at how many fires have there been with these kind of results uh, during our modern times versus during the times that uh, – yeah, you di- you didn't have uh, the modern techniques. I'll get Westerman on, Congressman Westerman on. He'll talk about the craziness that they do out there, and it's causing people to die. That's what it's doing. 
Maybe it's protecting the snail daughter daughter or some little tiny mouse that's out there, but it's killing human beings. Which doesn't seem to matter to some of these animal rights activists. Well, I think there's a few, like I said, I think there's some squirrels, a few squirrels out there and a bunch of nuts. A whole lot of nuts. There's some squirrels and some nuts out there. We understand. We've done uh, controlled burning in Arkansas. I grew up in those Ark Mountains. I watched them do it my my entire life. I grew up watching them doing the under, burning the underbrush and and taking the bulldozers and pushing away uh, trees from certain areas so that if a fire happens, that it's controlled in certain areas, and there's people that that's what their jobs are. Right. Seven because, days a week, you know, you know, twenty four hours a day. That that's what their job is to cut this to a minimum. So they could cut it probably by a third. And what it said that there's we've gone from fifteen percent spending to on fifty percent to fifty percent of money. So they're spending thirty five percent more money, and they're killing more people and having <laughs> probably. Uh, at least 33 to 40% more fires and killing more people. So whenever you look at something like this, you go, let's look let's look at the statistics and let's look what, at what's causing this problem. But whenever this guy's being presented with a problem here, he gets emotional and starts calling names instead of going well, to the statistics. He, he didn't say that, well, California's done a study, and the study that we found is that controlled burns do not help the, as much as people think they do. He didn't, he didn't go into anything scientific. He just... Started global, acting crazy global, global and calling names, is destroying, is yep. destroying us. And, but the thing is, though, I think there's there's a there's a reality if you don't actually manage the forests, the woods, they burn from time to time naturally. I mean, lightning will catch them on fire if nothing else does. And and from what I understand, large parts of the country used to burn back before it was managed on, on a on a greater level. And that's but when when people get introduced to nature. Generally, people improve it. We, we make the land more productive than it is when it's wild. It, it, you know, if there's hardly any people in, in an area, they can live on the wild. They can live on searching out and, and, and being hunter-gatherers. But as people increase in population, you, you need to actually husband the land. You actually need to manage the land and use it and, and cultivate it use and, and do things responsibly because it doesn't work if you just simply leave it natural as the as some on the left want to um, say that we should turn it back to natural. No, we don't want it natural. Yeah, if you, if you can do something to prove it, I mean, if you own property and a dead tree falls down, you go out there and you cut the tree up and, and you haul it off. You don't leave it laying there or before you know it. You can't even walk through the woods. And, and it's such a fire hazard. Then well, it's, and, and, it's all common sense to people that grew up in these type of situations. And, and it, it, can be, it can become that way. And, and the thing is, our land becomes more productive <laughs> if we actually work it. Sure. All right, here you go. California has seen... A large increase in destructive wildfires in recent years. How come? You might want to do a study about that. Well, one, fueling the fires, in part, has been a buildup of vegetation in the state, which laws have refused to let the people clear out, or even the state firefighters clear out, and then long droughts that have dried up the vegetation. Those droughts have been going on for a long time and by the way the president brought this up all the way back in august when they had those other fires that were going on out there 
and it didn't kill as many people because luckily it didn't just swoop down with the Santa Ana winds and uh, completely destroy a whole town. People who got out of that town were lucky. Everybody who's reporting on it, who's talking about it, the people who got out of it are saying the exact same things. That fire started, the winds got a hold of it, and it just burned quickly, quickly. Well, and and that's uh, when you've got people building right up next to forests that are subject to basically turned into a tinderbox, and you build houses really close together. What was it in Chicago that half the city burned or something? The Chicago Chicago fire, yeah. Was it in the 20s? Uh, I forget when it was now, but a long time ago, but it it, was, it burned. It, it happened a because a cow kicked over a lantern, a lantern and set a barn on fire, and, and the going. rest is history. Wow. <coughs> there, pardon me. There's parts of uh, Mrs. O'Leary. Yeah, Mrs. Tame O'Leary. your cow. Yeah, get your cow <laughs> under control. There's a part of Chicago you can still visit that's called Old Chicago. It was the only part of the it city survived. left wow. after the fire. Wow. <laughs> and it's by the way where. Deep dish Chicago pizza was created. Just <laughs> hey, so you know, hey, you can't right. go wrong. There. Some things come, great things sometimes come out of big tragedies. All right, got to get one more break in before we uh, get to the news top of the hour, and we got another segment to talk. I just, I just get tired of people talking. It's climate change. No, it's bad government. If you look, what, what? It's like you take one barrel of gasoline. All right, and if it explodes and burns, it causes a fire. All right, pretty big fire, in fact. But if you pack, if you stack up two hundred barrels of fuel mm-hmm. and set that on fire, or deal. one barrel and then surround it with old timber and uh, old houses, and then set it off, you get a really big, big fire. That's what's happening. In California. All right. So I've just sent a text to Governor uh, Wester, Governor, uh, to <laughs> <yet>. Congressman uh, <laughs> uh, Westerman. That might not be a bad to, idea. Asking if he can join us um, tomorrow here on the show just to talk about forest management out west. Because he's been on the show before talking about it. He's, he helped run up uh, the flagpole some, some legislation dealing with with uh, forestry because that's what his degree is in hmm. and so it'd be fun to hear what he has to say about it and be very educational to hear what he has to say about it as well so we'll get that uh, try to get that set up here as asap as soon as possible all right just so you'll know <laughs> we work on it we get at it all right before we finish up this hour eric beeson and lisa hammersley Get the byline from the uh, Demgaz. Big story today. The federal political corruption scandal that has riveted Arkansas's capital for almost two years and convicted four former state lawmakers has netted another guilty plea, this time from a top executive at a Missouri mental health care company, Marilyn Nolan former CEO of Preferred Family Healthcare, Inc. We've all heard that name now. Yeah. From uh, Springfield, Missouri, has uh, pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy in federal court in Springfield, according to court records. 
She admits working with other company executives and political lobbyists to bribe Arkansas lawmakers to influence in, uh, legislation and state rulemaking to boost company profits. She also admits that she and other executives stole millions from the nonprofit. Nolan is the highest-ranking executive to plead guilty so far. Two others are former chief clinical officer uh, Keith Noble and the company's Arkansas regional executive and former lobbyist. Everybody together now. Milton Rusty Cranford. Hmm. All right. So, so she's admitting to working with a group that was bribing legislators. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly I, sitting on the wall, listening to people talk about, yeah, this guy, you know, we can get him for just twenty grand. This guy's going to cost a little bit more. You know, he if he's going to, you <laughs> know, if he's every day, if he's going, if, he, if he's going to try to, you know, be bribed, he's going to make it worth his while half a million for this guy, hmm. but. You state senator. All right. So I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't you just love to be oh. a fly on the wall to listen to how yeah, they can, did all of that? Can we? I want. I wonder if they they bought her confession with a, a list of um, of who they're bribing. Well, I tell you what. This this is all comes from our Medicaid expansion. All that money pouring in billions of dollars coming into Arkansas with the legislators in in control of all the policies and who gets the money and who gets the contracts. Well it's it's, and what the policies are, what are we going to pay hospitals, what are we not going to pay hospitals? So it's 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 tempting when you when you put so much money out there, it's tempting for people to be to to act corruptly to get it. So you know used to Republicans would say they were for smaller government. Hmm. There is only one way to reduce corruption, and that's reduce the money in government. If you reduce the money, you can reduce corruption. But when you get billions of federal dollars coming in to provide health care for people, especially the 300,000 of them that really don't even have health problems, and, and say, hey, don't work. We'll give you your health insurance. We'll right. get you and, your health insurance. And, 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 the, and, the, and the thing is, so so if you can insure a bunch of people that don't really have health problems, then is that just mostly cream for the insurance companies? Definitely. Then the insurance companies, do you think all the lawmakers up there at the state capitol are experts on policies, on insurance hmm. policies, and what people are going to cover and what don't cover? The insurance companies and e- the hospitals. On what? Yeah. The insurance companies and the hospital, they all meet in Hawaii somewhere. They uh-huh. work out the deal. Okay, we're going to cover this. We're not going to cover that. We're going to cover this. We're not going to cover that. We're going to cover 10% of this. We're going to 10% of that. Then they carry it up to lawmakers and say, this is the bill that we, we want you guys to run. You're going to give us this much money, and this is what you're going to get out of it. We're all going to get rich at taxpayers expense and guess what people are not even going to get good health care you know it's free but it's not worth anything (laughs) so uh boy dave you get you don't take much to get me going on this but you know i got guys that's why i just shut up and like (laughs) i got guys that guys that bust their butt every day that we pay 75% more for their insurance than we did five years ago. So I'm paying 75% more. So the government, the state government, 
Republicans can give 300,000 people insurance that don't have anything wrong with them so they don't have to come and work. So my guys are working to pay for everybody else that's not working. And and then they're bribing these guys. You you and I watch it. We know who the lobbyists are at the Capitol. We we watch them make their circles around there. It it is kind of interesting. And and what do you do about it? I mean, on some level, I think lobbying should be perfectly legal. But on, on, on another level, when we've got government um, we've got businesses that are literally in bed with government. Should those businesses be allowed to lobby? I mean, it's, it's we've got we've got businesses. They're not private businesses. They're they're highly in bed with government, and they're lobbying. And then we have turn around. We actually have government funded lobbyists that are directly funded by by government on some level. And it's 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 crazy. Where are we? How, how do we? How do we? How do we fight the corruption? Yeah, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. The pendulum right now, the corruption pendulum is swinging the federal in the wrong government, direction. Federal government let that horse out of the barn a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, Barack Obama's a genius. I mean, I hate to say it on there, but he's a genius. I mean, well, the Democrats are a genius whenever they bring out a program and they make the people who can take part in that program let it bite larger and larger into the lower middle class so they become beholden to the master up there in washington dc and then when you start talking about doing something to get the program under control and they find out they're going to lose part of that they don't want to do that absolutely not it's a bad situation that's why reagan knew when he said the nearest thing to immortality in this lifetime is a government program once you give people something, it's hard. Good to luck off. trying to take it away. Right. It's, it, what is it? Like, sort of like these drug dealers that will give out free drugs. Try That's to get, why they do it. People hooked. And give is, them a little taste. Is is welfare any less addictive? The sad thing to me is. Uh, is the Republicans had a chance to kill Obamacare and the negative effects it has on the economy, like hey, and on people, and, and on people, they had a chance to do it. They had two years to do it. Guess what? They didn't do it in two years. And guess what? Now the Democrats right now control the House and the budgeting. So we, I think we missed a window. Well, where are the Thank Republicans, you, that ha- Mr. McCain? Where are the Republicans that have as much? principle if you will as the democrats the democrats will come out and tell you they want socialism where are the, where are the republicans the republicans had i'm going to i'm going to come to the defense of the republicans <laughs> okay. here they had the balls to do it there was one who cast a vote that didn't because we didn't have enough in in the senate to hold it and he voted against the whole republican party and against the people of the united states and his name was john mccain yeah. All right. Second hour of the show today. By the way, in the four o'clock hour, you won't want to miss it. We're going to have the national and state commander of the American Legion here in the studio. We're going to talk to them right. about what uh, American Legion's up to and how they uh, work with our veterans and things of that nature. I mean, since Veterans Day was just yesterday, well, was Sunday, but celebrated yesterday. Uh, we'll talk to them about all of that. They usually have a really great Veterans Day ceremony in Indianapolis on uh, the day that they celebrate Veterans Day, and I'll have to talk to the national commander about that. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about the Second Amendment. I guess you've been seeing uh, some of the Democrats are already starting to ring battle bells and fire bells about we got to get more more, uh, things passed for the Second Amendment. Uh, Dana Loesch talked about all of this on gun control and 
Here's what she had to say. Uh, Meanwhile, Democrats won back the House in the midterm elections, wasted no time in declaring their top priority. It is gun control. This will be a priority for us in the next Congress. Common sense background checks uh, to prevent uh, guns going into wrong hands. We will certainly pursue uh, sensible gun control legislation as one of our priorities. We have a chance to say loud and clear that the gun lobby is no longer in charge of our gun laws. Here to react is NRA spokesperson Dana Lash. Dana, what is your reaction when you hear all of that? Oh, well, Ainsley and, and Brian and Steve, good morning to you all. When I hear uh, Nancy Pelosi say that, I just I hear someone who's talking about the failed gun control laws in her state, and she discusses expanding them nationally as though that's going to be the magical ingredient that makes those work. Uh, and as we've seen time and time again, it, it doesn't, in fact, help. It doesn't make it work. And, and they can talk about pushing forward anti-gun legislation in the House, but let's think of all of the 2A victories that law-abiding gun owners won just in the past elections, and law-abiding gun owners spent significantly less dollars than the anti-gun movement, uh, which is mostly funded by people like Michael Bloomberg. I mean, we don't have, you know, a really rich sugar daddy, for the lack of a better way to put it, to go and fund this. We're just millions of people who want to make sure that our rights to self-defense, our Second Amendment rights are Mm -hmm. protected. And so as a result of that, I mean, when you look at the results, I mean, for instance, the House candidates, 80% of NRA-endorsed House candidates won those races, 85% of NRA-endorsed candidates won races statewide, and we added and extended that that Senate majority. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we have divided houses, divided state legislatures right. across the country, and I think it goes to show that Nancy Pelosi really doesn't, I mean, she's really not in tune with what Americans want. When you look at the gun control movement, which I guess ground zero was Florida, those mm-hmm. expectations didn't even materialize in the results. So she's going to have a hard fight ahead of her because gun owners aren't going to allow it. Well, one of the things, uh, Dana, that uh, Fox News did on a election day was we surveyed over 100,000 people coast to coast and 61% of the voters said they wanted stricter gun laws, 61%. 8% wanted less strict laws. So what does that tell you about where America's head is right now? I think that there's also a lot of confusion to that point, Steve, in terms of what we actually do have, the laws that we do have, and the laws that we don't. I mean, for instance, a lot of people don't realize, apparently, that we do have background checks. We have existing background checks. And when you talk about universal background checks, well, you know, unfortunately, when you look at the tragedies that have taken place previously in California, universal background checks were in place and didn't prevent any of those things. And we also have a lot of flaws and errors that, in terms of administratively into the system at that level level, state by state level. So the thing is, is that, look, you have to enforce the laws that we have. And that actually isn't being done consistently. That is one of the common denominators in every single one of these tragedies. You have missed opportunities to prevent people who should not be having access from having access. And furthermore, you have procedures that are not followed consistently across the board. And this is, as I said, the common denominator in every single one of these tragedies. And law-abiding people should not always be paying the price for the actions of criminals. It makes no sense to disarm moms and dads across the country, men and women across the country, and make them more susceptible to threats because a criminal is going to abuse the law, break the law, and get illegal access. Wow. All right. That's pretty strong answers from Dana Loesch. Uh, Now, spokesman for the uh, National Rifle Association. We'll have to get Dana on. Russ, we should be able to do that. Dana's worked with us in the past many times. 
Well, you know, whenever someone comes into a school, a restaurant, or whatever, uh, wherever they're going to shoot people, they're going to break, I don't know, maybe eight or ten laws. They're going to break eight or ten laws. and Number uh, one law, they're going to commit murder. Yeah, so uh, why don't we make four or five more laws for them to break? Right. Yeah, and, and, well. and these four or five more laws, and, and you know, if you were going to use a getaway car to rob and kill people, are you going to go buy one at the local dealership and license it and get insurance on it and get your name put on it? Or are you going to go down and steal a tag and, off and, of somebody else's car? Right, and, exactly. And, and have right. some sort so, of a getaway plan. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, though, that so one of the things is that so the left will look at other countries and say, well, like the UK, they have they have lower murder rates, much lower murder rates than we do here. with guns. What with, with, with guns? Just total, actually, in, in general. Yeah, they use murder, axes and knives and everything. Yeah, oh, they use knives. I, I think the UK has a, has a murder rate. It's about one-fifth of the what it is in America. But if we took out the, the, the big city murders here in America, rural America would probably be lower than, than the UK. But the thing is, though, that, you know, a lot of Europe and England included, the UK included, was attacked during World War II. If you look at the, the murders by by the government agents by the government authorities over the last century it pales in comparison or the the the, the murder rates here in America pale in comparison to to what government has has done to kill people and so the right to keep and bear arms actually keeps the government from killing their own people and, and the numbers are going up in Europe right now. They're going up in Australia, right. too. They're right. No, I, yeah, I think I've heard that, that um, London right now is maybe about, about as bad as New York City from a murder rate or maybe worse. Yeah. And, and so one of the problems is that – so, yes, maybe having the right to keep and bear arms is going to increase the murder rate some. But what about the murder rate of government killing their own people? I mean, how, how many people were, were murdered in, in, the, um, in Europe – by their own governments and by other governments when they were not able to defend themselves. And you look at the quote from the, the Japanese general that was a, 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 attributed to him saying that you can't attack the mainland of America because there's a gun behind every blade of grass. You just can't do well, it. Well, now you can because there's, we've gotten to the point where Americans don't have the well, intestinal fortitude to even defend up. their own countries. Right, and, and, and also a, a big part of one of the borders of America is is California, where people are afraid to bear arms and not allowed to in many respects, if I understand it correctly. And so, yeah, maybe they could actually breach the mainland of maybe either the eastern seaboard or the west. So here, here, I want to go back to you're talking about the getaway car. You know, the gun control people. Here's what they would do: to stop people from robbing and getting away with their robberies would be to say. Well, we're going to make it illegal to own a Mercedes Benz. Right? Yeah, <laughs> they'd go too fast. Yeah, or yeah, maybe, maybe, or yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're the ones everybody's using right now. So let's get rid of the Mercedes Benz, and then they go to some other car. And at the end, the only thing that will stop them from using a car to get away is if you've taken everybody's car from them. And, and they're okay with that. That's that's the thing is that with the many on the left, as they long are as okay. you leave them. With their car, and as long when it comes to guns, if <laughs> they've their got their own guards. personal security. Yeah, you know the president's all his, all his uh, montage that keeps him safe. You know, if they they're going to put all their guns away, aren't they? Right. Oh yeah. yeah and, yeah. and the senators and the it ain't going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the, the the thing is though that 
but they are willing. Some of them are actually willing to disarm us almost completely. Maybe they'll let us have a slingshot, or, or maybe we'll have It ain't to, happening in America. Well, I mean, in some it's other, happened, in, in it's other, happened some already other places. to a great extent. It's already happened to a great extent. I mean, we, we for Crown Lab, we can't even have a full automatic weapons anymore. How, how long has that been in place? Only 50 years? Mm, I mean, some longer. Some long, yeah, some places it's been longer. But the thing well, is, the, the Tommy gun went out in the twenties. In the twenties, okay. All and, right. Look. I mean, you used, believe it or not, you used to be able to buy a Tommy gun the Sears through a Sears catalog. Well, well, and the thing is that that should be wow. legal. In, you didn't in know a, that, did in, you? In a country, no, no I never well, got that Sears well, catalog. Well, yeah. been ordering but, one. And I, I hear about <laughs> you came after the nineteen twenty. <laughs> well, and, and I hear about farmers used to be able to buy dynamite the, at the hardware store. You need it for blowing stumps and whatever else. And, and people used to use it for fixing their wells when they wouldn't give out water. And and so. But we've gotten to the point where, well, you can't have this, that, or the other because you might be able to use it for a weapon. Yeah, you might be able to use it for a weapon. That's a good reason to own it. Here's what I say. I say stop all of the death destruction that occurs on our nation's highways (laughs) every day in our country. I think cars should be made to go no faster than 10 miles an hour. I, I tell you what, I've actually made that argument is that, that you know, actually... There'll be more killings if people were only going 10 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> the road rage might be pretty bad. But the, They're um, saying 10 miles an hour probably can't hit somebody else in the car to kill them. Yeah, look at all the people we'd save if we only drove 10 Think miles about an that. hour. It's Think paternalism. how much gas we might save. Uh, hey, oh, you yeah. know what? You it could, would probably stop all the wildfires in California. It might do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know. If we drove 10 miles an hour, you know, global right. would reverse well, well, global warning, all the dinosaurs would right. come and, back. And you might, well, yeah, you and might all those folks to... out in California would have enough time to jump out of their car and go clean up about a five-foot section of forest. <laughs> that might be nice. their car to get down the road. <laughs> I don't know who was. I think it was, it was one. It wasn't Fox. I don't know what channel it was. I must have been having sleepwalking or something and turned on some lefty channel but they actually had a reporter out by paradise the city that burned up yeah and he was standing under some trees he says you want to see the problem out here and he reached down in both arms and raised a bunch of dry are you serious vegetation and showed it it was like i'm thinking well now take that story a little farther, son, and do some background and f- find out why all that's laying around the way it's laying around. You know, it's all of these really smart state lawmakers that we have passing laws with unattended consequences. Yep. So well, you give them too much power. Just like, just like, where did all these these little mercury filled um, curly Q light bulbs come from? Wasn't that largely from a, gover- from a government project? I called him Obama, Obama bulbs. He was trying to keep us in the dark. You know. <laughs> well, <laughs> but they had mercury in them. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and they had uh, three pages of how to clean up one if well, you dropped it and it busted. Wow. And so, and so now we have LEDs, which are kind of neat. But at the end of the day, did government help us or did they poison a bunch of people? It's paternalism. Yeah. It is when not, I, it is, when yeah. I look at... The way it is now and the way it used to be. It was so funny. I was I, I had breakfast this morning at Waffle House. And they were putting up on the windows their Christmas ads. Yeah. And and they're and they're backed by Coca Cola. Well, the way we see Santa Claus today is because of what Coca Cola did with Santa Claus back in the mid fifties, about fifty five, if I'm not mistaken. And I started talking to a couple of the people, and I said, you know, that's why we Santa Claus looks like that is because Coca-Cola came up with 
the branding of Santa Claus to look like that. Mm. And they, they said, you're kidding me. I go, no, 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 no. I said, that's the way it was. I said, let me tell you something else. I said, you know, I'm gl- I'm, I, I don't understand why you're putting them up right now. I mean, we're not even to Thanksgiving yet, but you're putting Santa Claus up. I would think you would pil- put up some pilgrims. And then I went, oh, but wait, they were white supremacists. <laughs> that were taking over the Native Americans that were already here. So I I understand to be politically correct, they didn't they didn't want to do that. And and I said, but do you know there was a time that Santa Claus was shown smoking cigarettes? <laughs> yeah, I've seen them. And they looked I think at I've me and they said, no, they all no, they were all probably thirty years or younger, and yeah, no, they didn't do that. And I said, watch. And I got on my phone, got my brain out, and went on and said, Santa with cigarettes. And I showed him with Lucky Strikes. I showed him with with Chesterfields. I showed him with all these different kinds of cigarettes, and they're smoking Uh, them. Then I blew their minds. I showed them Santa Claus with a Budweiser and a cigar. Whoa. Hey, did you you remind me of something I saw at Ozark the other day? I stopped at Ozark, Arkansas at a gas station, and they had the poster there with a high school mascot. The high school mascot is a hillbilly wearing overalls with a double barrel, carrying a double barrel shot. Like Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, Mountain Dew had had that. Mountain Dew. So I thought, hey, that's my kind of mascot right there. (laughs) What what did Mountain Dew do? It It did what? Come on. Great. Tickled your innards. Tickled your innards. That's right. We'll be back. Jan Morgan's on the phone. We'll join her in just a second here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Joining us by phone is Jan Morgan. Hello, Jan. Hey, Dave. I'm so sorry I didn't make it there in time oh, to be that's with you guys okay. today. I miss you all. I, w- I was sitting here talking about I was at Waffle House today, and nobody believed me when I said that they used to show Santa Claus smoking cigarettes. And uh, so I pulled up the, the, the cigarette ads from back in the, uh, the 50s and 60s of Santa Claus selling Marlboros and Camels and Chesterfield and Lucky Strikes and all kinds of stuff. I mean, wow. it's, it's great. This one here is a Marlboro. It says, may all your dreams come true this Christmas. And it's Santa Claus smoking a cigarette. In fact, it almost looks like a big old blunt that he's got in his lips. And the... The smoke is coming off of his cigarette, Jan. You'd love. I got it. You know. Ask me to sh- no. Ask me to show this to you when you come here because it says make all your dreams come true this Christmas, and that leads right into the picture of the smoke that looks like the back of a naked woman. Okay, Dave. Now, see now you're showing your age because that, I don't even remember those commercials. I'm just. It's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know my it's my time. age. Yeah, that's hey. before. Go ahead. Those before the days of political correctness, you know, I think that those were some of America's best days. And I sure would like for us to have America's best days again, uh, minus all the political correctness. We we really need to get back to that. So not 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 to Santa smoking cigarettes, but back to those days of true liberty, um, minus the, the attacks on free speech. And, you know, we've got to the point in America where political correctness is just destroying us. It's absolutely people are afraid to, to say anything anymore. Well, you're, other than you're your, right. You and me, and you, other than you, me, R.D. and Paul and, <laughs> and, and, and Amy Joe Freeman and Shelley Carpenter and you know, yeah, all the different so, people. You know, Amy Freeman and Elizabeth Solara and all, Hannah Webb right. and all the people that show up on this show because we believe in the First Amendment. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I, I don't mind listening to people's ideas. I, I don't either. Mind. 
That's why that's why we have free speech. And it doesn't offend me to the point that I want to shut them down and say, you can't talk and you can't, you can't, you know, you have no place in America. Like, what is that the governor uh, or was the mayor of New York said the other day? If you, if you don't believe in this, this and this, or if you believe that, then you don't, you don't, you have no place in New York. Amazing. Yeah, well, they, they, they've been trying to take away freedom forever. That's been going on for a long time yeah, in New York. Yeah. Those people are deplorable. And I've been talking to people in Illinois today because, I mean, within hours of their election Tuesday night, uh, they're already putting forth legislation to tax ammunition in that state. And I was I was in the middle of two major 2A battles in that state. And it just makes me sick to see this happening to, to the folks in Illinois. Other than Chicago, you know, most of the, the rural areas of Illinois, the people, they're suffering the... The repercussions of the populated Chicago, which is mm-hmm. very liberal, you know, their their legislative uh, actions are affecting all the the folks out and, and and people in people in my social media page today. When this ammunition thing came out, said, you know, I just we, we're just tired of fighting this. We're just either going to we're going to sell and move, uh, uh, and uh, that's really what uh, they need to move over. Just move over sixty miles to Indiana. Wow. I mean, yeah, well, well, well that, and that's what they're looking at. That's what most of them are looking at. But you know what? I, I just hate it. it do, at what point do you get to the point with the state and the state government that you say, okay, we can't beat the system anymore, so we just need to leave and go somewhere else? Eventually, you know, uh, we're going to run out of places to go. I, I think we need to uh, dig in our heels and fight. Well, and that's part of the problem is that we've got laws in place. We've got a Second Amendment. Why isn't the federal government coming in and, and, and stopping these states and tell them, look, you either comply with this, you either allow people to exercise their rights, or we're going to kick you out of the union, or we're going to bring in troops. Why is it that, that we allow Chicago to continue to, to continue to have such high murder rates while disarming their citizens? Chicago. Why, well, why, why isn't the Why isn't the U.S. military going to Chicago and stopping this madness? Well, because Paul, we have this thing called states' rights. Remember that <laughs> the Tenth Amendment. I, I'm I'm very big on that state sovereignty. I don't you know I don't want a Hillary Clinton uh, led federal government coming into the state of Arkansas and telling us how we have to live you know that's and that's why our governor's race is always really important our governor is supposed to be that person that stands between the abusive overreach of the federal government and so i you know there you and i are going to butt heads well, on that well, in so many, let, but, in, but in so many cases what we have is we have the the state government and the federal government getting in bed with each other and violating our rights in in, yes, in unison that's why the but that's why the people, that's why we are a constitutional republic and we vote. You know, we have a representative form of government. And it's not, I don't want the federal government to solve the problems for the people of Illinois. I want the people of Illinois to do something about their out-of-control state government. I, I, See, we, we, we've got to get out of this mindset, or I believe that we need to get out of this mindset that all of our problems in Arkansas are a result of our government. No, they're not. They're a result of a, a disengaged people. We need to get out of this mindset of all the problems in America are the are the fault of the federal government. No, that federal government is made up of people that we put there. So we, we really, we need to take the power back. And that's why I kept saying all last year, restore the power to the people. All right, Jan, Jan, I got to jump in. We got news coming up. Yes. Let's do that. Okay. And then we'll be back. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Aero Plumbing. I've None, nothing but you know, blow their horn of how good they are because I've been using them, like I said, 14 of the 15 years I've lived out in Cabot. And uh, they've never done me wrong. They've come out. They've fixed toilets. They've fixed pipes in the ground. They've fixed all kinds. My pool. They've fixed all kinds of stuff for me. 
and uh, all the work they've done has been beyond my expectations, and uh, the price has been right. They back their work. They got professionals that do it. I think you'd like them as well. That's Aero Plumbing. They got their 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied with the service they've provided, they'll refund all your money. That's aeroplumbing.net or just Google Aero Plumbing. Jan Morgan is with us here on the phone lines. And Jan, I guess you've been listening over the last uh, couple of days and the Democrats are firing up about the Second Amendment already. They're they're just mm-hmm. going to make all kinds of of demands, and the Senate is going to shoot it all down in flames. But they want to get on. Um, I guess they want to get on on the front of their uh, you know red meat for their uh, their supporters and try to get more money out of them. Well, sure, and we knew all along that the Second Amendment was going to be a huge part of the push by the Democrats uh, nationally, and it's going to be a major part of the uh, presidential election in 2020. Oh yeah, mark mark my word. So, uh, and and every time there's you know something happens, there's a mass shooting. This is this is what they do. But they also it was a huge uh, part of President Obama's agenda, and we were able to you know push back on a lot of it, but. You know, what worries me is that gun owners in in this country start a willingness to compromise. And once you start down that slippery slope, it it becomes, you know, it's just a little bit at a time. And the next thing you know, you wake up and suddenly you don't have a Second Amendment anymore. Uh, And that's that's ultimately what they hope for. Hillary Clinton, this is what surprises me. How many Democrats that say they support the Second Amendment but voted for Hillary Clinton. And, and then when I tell them, but she wanted, she liked the Australian method of gun control. Yes. She, she openly stated that. It's on video in a number of her speaking engagements while she was campaigning. So this I, is I support the Second Amendment, ago. but... Yeah, I support it, but but the problem is, is people don't know what is the Australian method of gun control. It was called a gun confiscation. That's right. The people there don't have gun rights, and that's the way it always starts. It starts with registration, and then it leads to confiscation, because any incident gives the government an excuse to say, well, we need to take up guns for the safety of the people, just like they did in New Orleans during uh, Katrina. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's a slippery slope. We don't need to go down. You know, what really blows me away about uh, Pelosi and and the ones from California is they talk about, yeah, we need common sense gun laws like what we have in California. They've got the most draconian gun laws that you can have in California, and it didn't stop that guy from walking in and killing eleven people in that bar. Well, well all those guns have last In fact, it may have it, it may, may have encouraged have, him. It may it may have saved. Uh, kept from uh, those police officers who were off dur- duty and couldn't carry their guns, might have kept them from shooting him and saving several lives. You know, Dave, the reason they chose the phrase common sense is because <laughs> they know you can't argue with that phrase. Well, who would be against anything that makes common sense? But the fact is, there's nothing common sense about the kind of gun control that they want to bring to the table. That's why I hated it when Charlie Collins got beat in his district. You know, he, that, Charlie, Charlie and I butted heads on a number of issues and, and even on some 2A issues. But I hate it that one of the, the representatives of Moms Demand Action uh, took his seat using phrases like common sense. And for people who don't pay attention and actually go a little deeper and look at what they mean by common sense, you get, you get railroaded. Yeah, explain to my listeners what these mothers want. What exactly is it that they want? What's their idea of common sense gun control? 
Well, let's. If you, you you can't speak for each individual mother who's joined that organization, because I I honestly believe, Dave, there are some well-intentioned women, some moms, who just get on the emotional bandwagon after a shooting where a lot of children have been killed. They get on that emotional bandwagon of we have to do something, and so they contribute their time and volunteer efforts. I, I do believe there are some good women in those organizations who don't really understand what's at the root of the organization. But if you want to know what an organization stands for, look at the people who started it. Look at its founders. And we can go all the way back to Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is an anti-gun radical. Oh, yeah. His, I, yeah, his idea of gun control is nobody has guns but law enforcement. He yeah. wants a military state. Mayors uh, against. Um, against yes. guns is his organization yes. and every mm. town for gun safety those people you, you can't you can't listen to their propaganda because their propaganda is written in such a way that it appeals to the emotions and to the people who really don't well, dig a little deeper to understand what they really represent and so so i think part of the problem is that these people will maybe look at well there's other countries around that, that have lower murder rates and, and the fact is you know if we unless we confiscate all guns no, our murder rate may be a little higher, but is 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 that worth sacrificing our liberty in general for? And also, is it worth setting us up to be so vulnerable to other governments coming in and want attacking us, or our own government attacking us? We look at the countries over over in the in Europe, and their own governments attack them, or the or the neighboring governments attack them. They were unable to defend themselves. You you disarm people. And they can be murdered wholesale. What was it? A hundred million people are estimated to have, to have been murdered um, during, during the last the people, century. The people in Britain. There are folks all around the world who have no gun rights anymore, who are now wanting their gun rights back. Mm-hmm. And that's why I try to. And they look at us. We're the last vestige of true liberty in the world. And they look at us and say, "Don't you know? Don't let them." take your gun rights because once the government takes them it's hard to get them back and you got people in australia you've got there are two a organizations in australia as well trying to they're not really called the second amendment but they do want their gun rights back mm-hmm. and, and that's what in answer to what you said their murder rate may be lower uh they're gun related you have to be careful how you read their that's reading. right that's just like the gun- unemployment rate huh you can you can kind of <laughs> exactly. work the numbers Anybody to your can- favor if you want to make it sound exactly. fictitious but it their gun related murders may be down and that part is true but what's what you don't what they don't tell you is well it's because the citizens aren't armed and so people get taken advantage of their assaults their rapes all kinds of so, violence so then- are up yeah, so it's it's you, they, they you know they're going to do it a little bit at a time. That's what the dangerous thing about this red flag law. Whenever you hear the governor say that he'd be open to it, and then you hear different Republican legislatures, well, I'm going to remain neutral now until I see what's in it. Uh, I'm going to protect the governor here just a second. He didn't say he would be open to it. He'd be open to, to discussing it, to what discussing he has to it. say exactly about it. Right. That's, that's different that's than exactly being open right. to it. Well, he, he's open and looking at it whenever they yeah. get it ready. The, the, nobody's seen it. But once you get a law in the books, and, if, and Paul, you've watched this up at the Capitol, once you get a law in the books doing something, you can go back and mm-hmm. amend it and yep, amend right. it and amend it and amend it. So if we get a gun control law in the books, and what they'll do, they'll come in and say, well, that looks fairly harmless. You know, people that, that look like 
like they might commit suicide or people that are acting unusual. So we'll let a family member turn them in and take their guns away from them for uh, for a week or something like that. But you know what? Then all the the gun activists will come in and say, "Hey, let's keep them for a month." Then they'll then they'll come in. They'll add another amendment to it. Well, you got to go before a judge now to get your guns back. And so so that's, the government cannot be trusted so with anything like there's this. There's already a process in place. If, right. if, if, if your friends or your family think, well, you know, this guy's fixing to murder a bunch of people, they can call the police and say, look, this, I'm pretty sure this guy is planning something. You can, if you can establish probable cause, they'll come and pick the guy up and actually arrest him or, or put him in protective custody. Maybe he needs to go to the mental hospital or something of that nature. There's already a system in place. Right, exactly. But, but you, the thing is, you need to be able to establish probable cause. You can't just say, well, you know what? I, I just don't like my, my, my brother-in-law over here. I want you to go disarm him and, and or really even wreck his life for a couple of weeks. Right. Because right. mad. But We're guys, down. Guys, Go ahead. Do you know what would solve all these issues of whether or not this law or that law should pass or be voted on or whatever if we just set this, the stage up front? If our governor would say, okay, in the state of Arkansas, we're not going to put legislation on the table that can't pass constitutional muster, period, regardless of what it relates to. If it doesn't pass constitutional muster, it's not going to be on the table for a vote. That would solve everything. That'd be nice. All right. It Stay with us. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about Florida. I want to hear what you have to say about it, Jan. We'll talk about it when we continue, uh, continue here on the Dave Ellswick uh, show. Don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage. I haven't. I've been using them here for the last few days. They've had my uh, SUV taking care of putting a, uh, uh, a transmission in it. Let's explain to everybody how this happened. I called you, RD, and I said, hey, it's time to put another transmission in my car. What did it, my transmission look like when you guys took it out? Did, did stuff start falling out of it? Well, it was well used. The fluid was all black <laughs> and burning it. I think you'd gotten all the life out, out of, of it. it. Yeah, okay. So it was not in good shape. No. It, it was, was ready to put shape. something else in its place. Yeah, we got a, a good used one out of a wrecked car that wasn't worn out yet. So you went and looked for it. You found it. Was this one at your salvage yard or was it in another part of the country uh, I, I picked it up at one of the warehouses that i get stuff out of i picked it up at one of the warehouses i get stuff out of all the time and we exchange parts back and forth we've got a trading system so they had one that was low mileage out of a wrecked vehicle and it was the right one so i bought it over there to have it whenever you were ready for it and i was ready and we got it uh, underway last week uh, it took you a couple of days to do it and it's at joe's right now because they're reflashing it or yeah, something yeah that joe just texted me said it was ready to pick up so yeah we got it it's high tech that we have to relearn and put the vin number out of the car into the computer system but uh hey we got people who can take care of stuff like that well i like that uh, you got all that done i appreciate it putting in that transmission did i save more than 50 percent than if i'd gone out and bought a rebuilt yeah, I would say it was right at fifty percent right because 50%. it would be five thousand dollars probably on that one. So, and we're going to do it for less than half of that. And we're going we're putting a, a three year parts and labor and unlimited mileage warranty on it. That's right. You can go to town. Have at it. This man will take care of you just like he took care of me. R.D., thanks so much, and the great professionals you have over there at Sunny's Auto Salvage. They're your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Here is the number to call, 982-7451. I had a piece of uh, audio. I don't want to play it right now because it's about five and a half minutes long to hear all of the irregularities that are going on down in the Palm Beach area. The uh, Palm Beach GOP chair is on now uh, 
on radio and with the media being on record saying that uh, they have actually seen evidence of Democratic lawyers fighting to include non-citizens' votes included in the outcome in Florida. Folks, there's a problem. And, Jan, I'll start off with you. There is a problem when we've become seriously, just what Mike Huckabee said about uh, 14 years ago, a banana republic when it comes to Mm -hmm. elections. Yes, that's right. And once the people truly believe that that's what's happening, you're going to see more people stop voting. And once we have that much more of a population disengaging from the voting process, you're going to get a truly out-of-control government. You know, what concerns me, you look at uh, Ms. Snipes is her name in Broward County. Oh, yeah. She's got a history, a long history, Dave, of this kind of uh, shenanigans that she Mm -hmm. pulls. But but I was watching the lieutenant governor of that state on TV last night, and he he used the phrase incompetent to describe her. And I'm sitting here saying, what? No, people need to be held accountable. Just saying someone is incompetent is an excuse, but there's a difference between the word incompetent and intentionally and clearly organized effort to manipulate and alter outcomes. Fraud. That's fraud. It's a crime. Yes, and, it and is. You can't, you can't, here's what I predict. I predict when this is done and over with and it's all resolved and the Republicans get in the position they're supposed to be in, then this is going to be let go. And it shouldn't be let go. She needs to be, she needs to not only be, be replaced, but she needs to be charged criminally if they can prove that she has done the things that she's being accused of doing. You know what? Talk's cheap. You know, whenever you can say, well, that person's incompetent or this, that, or other. Mm -hmm. You take control of a situation. The governor has the authority and has the responsibility to be just like a superintendent in a school. If you've got a teacher that is out of line, that are, it is incompetent, it's the superintendent's job to take care of it. The governor of that state mm-hmm. needs to take control of the situation instead of sitting on his hands. But right and now we don't names. have a governor, basically, of that state because DeSantis well, and Gillum are fighting it out. Well, you got a lieutenant right. governor. Yeah. you got a lieutenant Well, he's governor. not going to take it. DeSantis gets elected. I, I, I foresee some internal investigations and maybe even some criminal activity there that's what will stop it when you start locking people up in jail for years that are doing this kind of stuff paul you had something but, but you the thing say. is though that one of the problems i think i think sometimes is you have local officials that are kind of being protected by other local officials and they and they they kind of stick together with some of this different um <laughs> What, what do you call it? Professional courtesy among a corruption, corrupt officials, and, and so I, I've heard stories. I think out of Perry County years ago, or some of the election garbage that was going on. Some of these elected officials should have been shot for for the shenanigans they were pulling. They were literally kidnapping people, from what I could tell, and and nobody was doing anything about it. Some of the corruption that was going on, kind of like the, DHS going in and putting down that they're interviewing families and and whenever they're actually not even going and talking to families and, and and billing the the state and the federal government for visits <laughs> that never actually even happened. Maybe but here's so. the thing: none of this will ever change. And and Jan, I think I can say that you'll agree with me on this. If we don't start taking these people to court, finding them guilty, and locking them up, what what why would people be worried Why about breaking the law? 
Exactly. We've we've got to get tougher on crime, period, Dave. And I I feel the same way about elected officials. You know, we've just had a a whole round of of, of legislators who've been uh, indicted and some found guilty on on corruption. And people have got to be able to feel in in a free country, we've got to be able to feel, number one, that our election process has integrity and that the people that we elect will be held accountable if they betray the people and start taking money under the table and doing things that they're not supposed to be doing uh, and representing the interest of lobbyists other, rather than the interest of the people who elected them. We've got to feel that there's accountability and that we have control. And once we don't feel that anymore, our country's in serious trouble. This is a problem I grew up with, okay, as far as elections go. I grew up right outside of, of Chicago in northwest Indiana, in Hessville and Hammond, right next to mm-hmm. East Chicago, Indiana, and where new garbage cans showed up on the curbs a week before uh, election day and people mm-hmm. would vote for nick angel and all the mm-hmm. other corrupt politicians <laughs> over and over again and they'd stuff the ballot boxes and all they did is learn everything that they knew from the people that were over in chicago because the whole vote you know vote uh, early and vote it often it was that reality, got yeah. underway in, oh. in chicago and i mean a favorite joke that i like to tell is that you know m- my father voted democrat this year uh, first time he's ever voted it. I bet he's rolling over in his grave. I mean, that mm-hmm. those those are jokes, but they are real jokes. I mean, they're 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 not funny when you live it. Yeah, and you know, here's here's something else. I'm mentioning when Paul and I were getting into our little argument a little while ago about uh, states' rights. You know, what do you do in in a state like California, where and here's where I could see where Paul would have some ground to stand. You've got a federal election in there. We're electing a president. But in the in the state of California, they're letting illegals vote, and not only are they letting them, encouraging them to vote, mm-hmm. uh, and and so people who are not even U.S. citizens are determining the outcome for their interests rather than the interest of the common good in our country, uh, based on the freebies they want to get. And you know what? I think on that note, one of the things I would love to see in America that I think would would stop a lot of our illegal immigration issues would be if we just said no benefits. You come to America, you, there are no benefits unless you are a U.S. citizen. Right, and I think, that, I think that would help. And that would part, part of the problem is I think the federal government actually Im- imposes upon the states and requires the states pr- to provide benefits for the illegals, which is insane. I mean, if I understand it correctly, they actually require the, the states to provide free school for, for illegals. I mean, that's an incredibly exactly. expensive welfare program, and it's uh, – so the federal government is out of line. But part of the problem is that, that we, we need the federal government to step out of states' right, uh, states issues. In other cases, though, when the states are actually violating the, the, the constitutional rights of citizens, I think it may actually be appropriate for, this, for the federal government to st- step in and say, you can't do that. People used to sponsor people whenever they would come into the country. I've had friends that would sign, that would bring people in and, and to help them mm-hmm. get their papers and stuff. But they'd sign a form that I'm going to be responsible this person for five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in five years, they had to have their paperwork done and they had to do it legally. So uh, right. if you want right. to come to this country, you know, find somebody to sponsor you that's going to and, help and you get your feet on the ground. And you need to have it all done in five might, years. That yes, might be and then the, all those flaming liberals that won all these 
illegal immigrants in here, yeah. they can step up to the plate and sponsor these people. Put your money you where your they mouth feel is. feel good about themselves, and then I don't, on, on the other hand, have to pay for someone here who is illegally here when I would rather my money, for example, to be going towards supporting a veteran, a homeless veteran, or some kind of veterans program or benefits for veterans. You know, we treat these illegals in this country better than we do our own veterans, and I'm sick mm-hmm. of that. All right. Jan, we're going to let you go. I got the commanders from the American Legion coming on state right. and national. I will see you next Tuesday, hopefully next here in the Tuesday. studio. We'll talk yes, to you sir. later. See you then. Bye bye now. All right. And to uh, my two compadres in crime here today, Paul Calvert and R.D. Hopper. Guys, thanks for coming in today. It's always a pleasure it. having you here. We've had some Enjoy very it. interesting discussions, to say the least, yep. today. Plenty going on. Hey. <laughs> With the Democrats in control of the House, I can tell you we'll never have a problem with something to talk about. It should be Just like California, they'll be burning the country on purpose. Yeah, probably so, <laughs> setting the forests of Arkansas on fire, saying, we just want uh, you to have some empathy for us. <laughs> Clear out your areas. All right, we'll be back. We've got the National and the State Commander. American Legion on as a veteran. I can just say, hoorah, looking forward to this. See you in a moment. All right. Two great guests here. This I've been waiting for this. I've known for about five weeks this was going to happen, and I've got it. I've got it in big, bold, silver letters uh, on my my calendar. Uh, all of you know that have listened to my show. You know I'm a vet, served in the U.S. Air Force. You know my family uh, are big uh, military backers. My dad served with Patton. My brother fought in Korea. My other brother fought in Vietnam. I went to Grenada. Uh, my brother, middle brother, Don's uh, kids, uh, two of them, one of them was in the Navy, one of them was in the Air Force, one was a dental assistant, the other can't tell me exactly what he did because it's all highly classified. Then I've got uh, my own kids, and I've got my oldest son who is in, uh, in the Army, worked on the Abrams. I've got my second uh, oldest son who is still... Uh, in, the, in the reserves with the Navy, but served uh, six years uh, active duty. My daughter was in the Air Force, so we believe we believe w- very much so in my family, uh, in uh, you know God, family, country. That's what we we believe in, and uh, we've tried to to serve to our best of our abilities. And uh, one of the great organizations for veterans is of of course when you when we sit and we talk as the American Legion. I remember as a kid sitting on my father's shoulders watching the parades that the American Legion put on when I was a kid. I I wish our country was still like that. I really do. I wish it was still like that. Because if it was we'd still we'd have Vietnam veterans marching, we'd still have some Korean veterans marching. Uh Probably have World War II veterans, but riding. And then we'd have Desert Storm, and we'd have Iraqi Freedom, and all the rest of our, our, our great veterans. And then just our regular veterans that, that we celebrated yesterday about. Is, is it a true statement? I thought I heard somebody said that less than 1% now of the population of the United States has served in the military. Commander, have you ever heard that? That's approximately right. Oh, my God. Yes. I can't believe that. There's something wrong with our country. I mean, seriously. Out of what, 300 million people? Yes. Right? That's amazing. It's, it's really, you know, I mean, 
Brett Rested is with us. He's the national commander of the American Legion. He's here in the studio with us today. And then R.D. Kinsey is here. He's the state commander here for the American Legion. I, I really feel honored to have the both of you here today. And there's a lot of things to talk about, and we'll get to that. But start off with you, Brett. What branch did you serve in? Army. In the Army. What did you do? What's, I was, your, what's your MOS? My sir? MOS uh, was an 11 Charlie, okay. which is an infantry mortarman. Oh, man. You were in good shape. Yeah. I served from 1974 to 1978 toward the very tail end of the Vietnam era. Uh, I got to serve with draftees before they were mustered out of the service uh-huh. and uh, watched the uh, Army become an all-volunteer institution. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected for honor guard duty, and I served with the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment, also known as the Old Guard, at Fort Myer, Virginia, next to Arlington Cemetery. Field of Stone? Uh, Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. Same unit. And uh, I served with a unit called the Presidential Salute Battery, which fires the uh, old World War II uh, field guns or cannons. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do those for uh, inaugurations, the arrival and departure of foreign heads of state, um, funerals of general officers at Arlington National Cemetery and, and kind of a, 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 an assortment of different special events in the Washington, D.C. area. Talk to my listeners a little bit about this because people don't realize that Arlington is a working cemetery. When you go to visit Arlington, if you'll stand there for a while and just be quiet, you'll, you'll hear, hear taps being played in Arlington because somebody's being buried there. It's very likely you will, yes. Uh, or you'll hear uh, uh, rifle salutes. Yep. Or uh, on occasion you'll hear the cannons fire. Yeah, because everybody goes and they want to see, of course, the tomb and the unknown soldier. Mm-hmm. Want to see the change in guard and all of that. And that's very, very cool. It's very cool. Now, if you want to see some people who are dedicated to procedure, that that's, no, that, the place that's, to go a, that's see. A, a very dedicated group of people. Uh, that's about a platoon size uh, in a regiment. So it's a very small portion of what the old guard does you have other specialty units there which include the army fife and drum corps you have the uh uh, the army drill team the caissons which uh uh, everybody seems to know um plus you have those that are casket bearers and Mm -hmm. firing parties and uh uh, some of the other mos's that are associated with the regiment i believe like quartermaster and jag and uh, mps and such Okay, well, I don't know what the regulations were in the Army. I can tell you in the Air Force it was 3510. That's the way you were supposed to dress and, and how you're supposed to look in the position that you were in there at Arlington. That was probably unbelievably anal. Uh, very different uh, than a standard, yes. <laughs> say it, man. Uh, Not a hair out of place. You know, when I came in, we, we didn't do special training. I, I went right into on-the-job training with oh, wow. uh, more senior uh, soldiers. Today, they actually have uh, like a three-week indoctrination in how to march like an old guard soldier and uh, uh, just to teach them a little bit about the uh, regimental uh, history and and the the different types of ceremonies and how they would perform their missions there. Uh, It's very different than the regular army. So it it does – even those that uh, have a lot of experience in the military – uh, if they've never been to the old guard and they come to the old guard, they have to go through that same training process uh, uh, to be certified. So, how uh, heavy was that uh, mortar that you had to hump around when you were in Vietnam? You know, I was pretty fortunate because uh, I was never in Vietnam. Okay, uh, I was in during the Vietnam era, 
but the mortar, oh, gee, it, it's just, it's it's not terrible if you have something to compare it to. And I would compare it to what they call the four deuce mortar, which is a much heavier mortar, and they usually were carried around on mechanized uh, uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 81 millimeter mortar that we fired, uh, you know, the heaviest part of that was a base plate. And uh, it's so pretty the, heavy, too. So you had the mortar tube and the base plate and the sight and then whatever ammo you were carrying with you as well. And you were running. Uh, well, <laughs> most of the time. Guys that were in battle were running. Can't do that anymore, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't either. I mean, I'm 65. I'd, they'd leave me behind now. They'd be smoking out there doing their thing. But uh, all of the people that are sitting here, and there's some other people that are here today, uh, have served their country. And and I don't know about you all, but it was one of the highlights of my lifetime to do what I did. I mean, I worked for Armed Forces Radio. I was over Far East Network uh, out of Japan, and I, I spent most of my time on Guam. You ever on Guam, Hardy? No, sir. I sure wasn't. You weren't? Were you out overseas? Uh, no. You stayed all stateside? stateside Boy, okay. You know, a lot of people say, wow, you were lucky. I don't think you were lucky. I think that's too bad. It's cool to go overseas. (laughs) I'm just saying. How about you, Brett? Were you overseas? No, I I wasn't, but I'll get to do that with the American Legion this year. Oh, good. You know, here's my thing I tell people about that. It's very simple. You get to go overseas and see how other people live, and when you come back, you'll want to kiss the ground you walk on in this country. This country is so far beyond, and I'm talking about Europe too, folks. It's so far beyond every other country in the world. I don't understand how anybody can look at it and go, well, if you don't like this country, go somewhere else. Exactly. I'm more than happy to let you go. That's the freedom exactly. of this country. Exactly. Go wherever you want to. You know, I don't have any problem. And don't burn my flag. I'll kick your ass. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. Exactly right. You have the right to burn it. I'm not saying you don't. But rights sometimes have, uh, you know, bad things that happen. Isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> Peanut gallery. Did you hear him in the background? <laughs> yes, sir. I don't want to screw with this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying. Seriously. I'm not happy with people who go around burning the American flag. No, and no. – and, and, I've got to be a diplomat here representing the organization, but I'm sure that you have uh, many other followers in our organization that feel as strongly about it as you do. Absolutely. So tell our listeners about the American Legion, Brett. Okay. Uh, by the way, when you when you got out, what was your rank? My rank was sergeant. There you go, okay. man. Pay grade right. E5. He was an NCO. Yes. All right. That's what he, he, he did all the work that the officers took credit for. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you talk about yeah, the, the American Legion. The American Legion is the nation's largest veteran service organization comprised of wartime veterans. Um, the Legion was founded in 1919 by World War I veterans. Listen uh, to that date because it's going to play a big part in what we're going to talk about today. So, so just to give you a little bit of background about that, uh, it was um, uh, the veterans that remained in France after the armistice of World War I um, that met 
in an organizational meeting in Paris in uh, March of 1919 for the purpose of discussing the organization of a veteran service organization that was unique to their values and to their service in the Great War. And out of that came a second caucus meeting that was held in St. Louis, Missouri in May of 1919, and then ultimately our first national convention in um, in Minneapolis in uh, um November of 1919. We have almost... Boy, they move fast. They, they do. They do in this case. We have almost uh, 2 million members in the organization. And, uh, you know, our focus is on four pillars, as we call it. And those pillars include uh, uh, children and youth, veterans affairs and rehabilitation, national security, and Americanism. Yeah, Americanism. That means why you love your country so much. There's good reasons why you should be loving your country. I'll be honest with you. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk further with Brett. Now, remember, 1919, that's the year that they started it, the organization. Why is that important? Why are we? Why am I continuing to mention that? We'll tell you when we come back here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They're looking for folks uh, to go work for them. They need people who like to work with their hands, like to get outside, like to, you know, be part of an organization bigger than themselves that they uh, can know and do their thing and, and uh, you know, make a career for themselves with PI Roofing. All you have to do is send your resume to piroofing.com. That's piroofing, one word, dot com, or call them at 501-707-3551. If you think you've got what it takes, can work with your hands and like to get out into the uh, great outdoors, then uh, talk to PI Roofing because they're looking to expand their organization. They've got career opportunities in their commercial roofing and service division, residential roofing and service division, and their home solutions division. Make up to 20 bucks an hour with P.I. Roofing. Again, piroofing.com. And, and just, I can't say what we were talking about, but I can say this. That's when I'm really proud to be an American, when our president stands up and says things like that. But anyway, with that all said, R.D. Kinsey, R.D. Kinsey's here. Uh, he's the department commander of the American Legion here for the Department of Arkansas. Also here is Brett, is it Reistad? Reistad. Reistad. It's that's a German name. It's a Norwegian name. Norwegian, And, and it's pronounced okay. – one side of the family from Wisconsin calls it Reistad. The other side of the family from Minnesota calls it Reistad. <laughs> Same spelling. There. I, I, I worked at WCCO for a while. And it was the funniest thing because I went up there thinking that I was going to run into a whole lot of people that were independent-minded. And then I ran into a socialist party wow. that was up there. It was incredible. But anyway, they ran me off. They did a good job. They ran me off because, as R.D. would tell you, I ain't no socialist. <laughs> All right, we, talk, we talked about 1919. Uh, that means that next year, the 100th birthday of the American Legion. It's lasted for that long. It has done fantastic things. I remember them. Big Christmas parties when I was a kid and all kinds of stuff. Of course, that was when... I would say the American Legion was really at its heyday with the World War II veterans. They were huge uh, at, you know, supporting the American Legion. Has, has it been somewhat of a struggle here recently with that, uh, Brett? Well, it's, it's, it's been unfortunate 
for all the veteran service organizations to have lost most of the World War II generation because they were staunch supporters of our organization and the others. And you just can't replace a group that large and that dedicated. So we're suffering a little bit with membership. Uh, we've gone from the early 1990s from about 3.2 million members to 2 million members, and much of that has to do with the uh, but you've lost with the World War II generation mm-hmm. generation passing on us, as well as the Korean and some some Vietnam. Well, you think about uh, the American Legion when the World War II veterans were there. You had this huge corporate group of men that had served in in World War II. And uh, it was much more than just 1% of the population. Just about, you know, most men that were of fighting age saw some kind of work within uh, within the military. May not have seen action, but were in some way involved with supporting those in action or, or whatever. And that mean, means a, a big difference for a country, does it not? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I wish I could go back and, uh, and and be a fly on the wall during World War II. I think that was a fantastic generation, a fantastic time to be an American. Um, the war was certainly unfortunate with the number of uh, people that were lost. Mm-hmm. But um, between the war and the GI Bill, um, you know, our na- nation prospered and – Our service members got educations and uh, uh, built homes. and uh, uh, They made America what it is today. They made America great. Yes, they really were the ones that made America great. Yeah, yeah. The greatest generation. I mean, it's the only great thing that John, that that Brokaw ever said is uh, America's, you know, great generation that we had. And my dad was part of that generation. I remember him uh, dearly. But uh, the you know, I remember what he taught me, and uh, they believed in their country. So I got to tell you a quick story. I was reading a uh, uh, a Facebook post today from a cousin of mine in Wisconsin, and he was talking about his father, who was a World War II veteran, and the father uh, apparently was rejected from going in the Navy and was classified for F, and he was so determined to go in, he saved money up through working, got his own surgery done so that he could heal and go into the military and he wow yeah we just uh we just brought somebody into the arkansas military hall of fame who flunked flight school uh for the army air corps and then turned around and went over to canada and got his wings with them and fought with them then moved over and went back to the army and ended up fighting with them it's amazing People want to serve their country. Yes. They want to serve the country. All right. Great stories. When we come back in uh, about uh, five minutes, we're going to talk with Brett about the centennial celebration that's coming up uh, with uh, the American Legion. What can we expect? What's going to be happening? We're going to bring R.D. into it, too, and he can tell you what's going to happen here in in the state of Arkansas as well. Right now, though, we got to get a break in. Let's do that. When we come back, the... uh, State and National Commanders of the American Legion here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get back at it. The Centennial started back in August. It's going until next November, which is the day of the 100th birthday of the American Legion, correct? That will actually be our 101st National Convention. So we had our our 100th National Convention in Minneapolis this past August. Okay. 
So let's talk about what uh, nationally that you have uh, planned, and then I'm going to move over to R.D. because every state is going to have celebrations as well, correct? Uh, I can't say that every state is, but that was or what we should. were hoping. Yeah, we were in a planning. <laughs> we were in a planning stage for five years. Okay, uh, we wanted all of the state organizations and, and international organizations to have a five-year plan, and wanted all of our posts to have a five-year plan. Uh, so, in large part, the celebration of our centennial is going to be at the local level rather than the national level okay now the national will be putting spot a spotlight on it with uh, articles in our magazine and on our website at legion.org posts are actually posting their post histories online uh, for others to see and uh, um, i know my own state in virginia will be having a big gala event uh, and and for the Legion meetings that we'll be having at the state level will be recognizing the 100th uh, anniversary. And I'm traveling the country and traveling the world promoting it because the Legion has a very legendary history over its last 100 years. Well, let's talk about you said not only national here, but you talked you'd be going over international. That's correct. Are there posts internationally? Yes, there are. Okay. We have posts in Europe. We have posts in Asia, posts in Mexico and Central America, Puerto Rico. Uh, Guam, I believe, has a post. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our trip. If it uh, wasn't for the military, Guam wouldn't exist, wouldn't but exist. that's all right. Probably true. So we'll be traveling for three weeks in December. That We'll start in Hawaii for the commemoration of the uh, Pearl Harbor, um, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be going to South Korea, uh, Taiwan, Okinawa, Tokyo, and then back home. Yeah, I've been it been in all those places you just talked it's that's great to hear those names again where in uh, in uh, korea in south korea are you going to be they're working on the itinerary i'm sure some military installations and i believe we have a post or two out there uh we'll be flying into Incheon, so i'm not entirely sure there's a camp humphreys there i believe that uh, was mentioned but wow uh, what happened at Incheon? let's see douglas MacArthur <laughs> turned the war around yeah you know that's Learn your history if you don't know these names. I'm just telling you. That the Incheon was huge yes. Yes, it in was. Uh, the Korean War. So how does it feel to go to places, you know, around the world? I mean, you talk about Guam, where America's yeah. Day begins, and then you get over. Did you say you're going to the Philippines? No, Philippines is not part of the trip. Okay. Uh, they've done it in the past. Okay, They've done Vietnam though, in the past as well. Uh, but really, it's... Uh, it's, it's planned out by our National Security Division, and it's based on the availability of the people that we want to see. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the time of year and whether Legion uh, – their Legion posts there are, are able to, to accommodate our visit. So yeah. so we'll be doing uh, Asia, and then we'll be doing a trip to uh, Europe in June. And that will be – we'll be there for the uh, 75th anniversary of the uh, landing on D-Day. Wow. You're like a lucky dude. Do you know that? Well, I am, and uh, <laughs> I know it, but I worked hard for two years campaigning to I be gotcha. where I'm at today. So, uh, yes, I recognize how, how fortunate I am not only to be a national commander of an organization of, of this uh, How many people? Stature. Almost two million. Wow. And that just covers the Legionnaires. Now, the American Legion's a family. That's so correct. We, we have the Sons of the American Legion. We have the American Legion Auxiliary. 
And for those that belong to one of those three organizations that are motor, motorcycle enthusiasts, we have the American Legion Riders, and that organization does so much for us, particularly in fundraising. It's amazing. Two million should yeah. be triple that yeah so so if you add the family together we're at about three million that's that's incredible Mm -hmm. how about overseas how big is it overseas do you know well certainly not as large overseas because (laughs) i I think that there are probably a handful of of active posts in in asia but our our trip to the far east is not specifically oriented to seeing the legion posts we're going to be visiting with our service members and their families we're going to be visiting with uh, uh, military commanders there and getting briefings as to what they do and that will help better prepare me to respond to questions and have a better understanding of uh, the national security and national defense end of my position. Well, when you go to South Korea, tell them you don't want to go to Taegu. Okay. You do not want to go to Taegu. We'll talk about that at a break. Yeah, we can talk about that. You don't want to go there. I know what that place is like. You don't want to go there. Go to Seoul, though. It's it's incredible. You know, South Korea in and of itself is an incredible story of what they've done. I mean, that that country was literally burned to the ground. They fought hard, and it was, uh, you know, a burnt ground strategy from the Chinese and the North Koreans, and they have come back incredibly strong and a fantastic economy and, and good government. It's it's amazing what big, happened. Big over contrast there. between Seoul and Pyongyang. So. Yeah, there ain't no doubt about uh, about that. So, RD, before we go to break, yes. let me ask you a few questions. Okay, so we've talked about this on the national scale and even international scale. Bring it down for my listeners now here locally in Arkansas. What's coming up? Well, certainly, uh, Dave. First, first off, it's always an honor to be in your uh, be on your show here. No, the honor is all mine. I'm glad that you're here today. Well, thank you and. Happy Veterans Day to you also, yeah. and certainly appreciate Thank your you very much. country. Uh, what we're doing here in Arkansas, we're already planning. We have a special committee that's a centennial committee that's already in uh, the planning stages for the activities that are going to take place in June of 19. And uh, our hotel headquarters, of course, would be the uh, Wyndham Hotel in North Little Rock. Some of the things that we're planning to do, uh, we're planning a parade, of course, which is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, is something that the American Legion has always done for so many years. And you remember uh, seeing the parade. Sure. Well, we plan to go back to the old school day. Good. We're going we're to do a parade. We're going to be reaching out to all the, uh, 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 certainly the Little Rock Air Force Base and uh, the Arkansas National Guard as well. And we're going to incorporate many of the uh, JROTC school units because we believe we believe in, in, in working with our youth, and this mm-hmm. will be an opportunity for our different school uh, JROTC programs to participate. But in addition to the parade, we're looking at uh, even holding a carnival uh, that will be open to the public. Uh, we'll be having a host of activities for our members in terms of training, additional training. We're going to do some things a little bit different this year from what we've done normally uh, with our state convention. Uh, uh, the committee is just coming up with some fantastic ideas that's going to really represent what the American Legion stands for, what we're about, uh, and the excitement that we have in being a part of this great organization and celebrating 100 years in existence. 
So we're we're really looking forward to that, and the, the public is going to encourage uh, to come and, and support us and partake in it any way that they can. And uh, it'll be it'll be it'll go down in history as probably one of the best uh, celebrations here in Arkansas. Okay, so now I got to put you on the spot a little bit. All right, yes, sir. All right, so let's talk about this parade. All right, I remember when I was a kid, and you know they they didn't have rubber tracks back then. They just Ran the tra- <laughs> ran the tanks down Main Street. All right, now they put rubber tracks on them. And things are are we going to see? I used to love to see the Shermans come down the street, and they'd have they'd be you know pulling the cannons down, and the jeeps would be there. And are we going to do that too? Unfortunately, Dave, I don't foresee that. And one reason being, of course, you know we have the trolleys uh, downtown, and, and certainly we wouldn't want to do anything to. Their tracks? The tracks, exactly. Okay. We we want to be around here for another hundred years. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you no, should talk, but, talk to Mayor Smith over there. You never know. Mayor you might Smith be able to work something good, out. He's a good friend of ours, and uh, he, he has definitely been a, a tremendous supporter of us uh, because our American Legion post is in North Little Rock. And, uh, and and he is, uh, Mayor Smith has just been tremendous in, in supporting us. Whenever we call upon him, he's always there. Uh, his chief of staff, Danny Bradley. Uh, yeah, North Rock man. is a wonderful place. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce over there with John Owens as the president. So we're in a wonderful place there at North Florida Rock. But, of course, we will be going on the south side. We will be in uh, the State House Convention Center. So we're going to be working on that and maybe doing having that uh, State House Convention Center as the viewing area uh the viewing stand right for the for the parade so uh again the plans are not complete yet uh we're still working on it but i can assure you that that it will go down in history man we got to figure Arkansas. out how to get an a1 abrams come down the road i'm just thinking people just don't get to see that anymore True. you know about what their military does you know and what they how tough they really are that's why nobody messes with That's us. That's why nobody messes with us. Exactly. Don't screw with us. All right, got to get a break in. We'll come back. We'll finish it up. The two commanders from the American uh, Legion National Commander is with us, and uh, our state commander is with us. Back, we'll tell you a little bit more about the centennial celebration and talk some more about uh, the American Legion uh, in uh, general terms as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back. We're back. We got out before we got caught. That's good. That's good. Place I haven't been, guys, that I really want to go because I've heard good things about it. If you've been there, and you can tell me if people were wrong, but I heard that the World War II Museum in New Orleans never is outrageously good. Have you been there? I was there two weeks ago. It, it, is, it, is, it is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it, it initially started as the National D-Day Museum, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it's expanded. I mean, the size of it is, is, is humongous, and it's still growing. And they have uh, artifacts of all types there. And I want to see it. I, I was fortunate maybe to be able to spend about two and a half, three hours there. or really could spend two or three days there. Is that much? Is stuff? that much stuff? There? Absolutely. It, you know, when I went to the place I really like to go is in Kentucky. I like to go to the Pat Museum when mm-hmm. I'm there. Whenever I'm at Fort Knox, and it's really amazing to see his car and and everything else that they got there. I'm I'm just one of those people that that World War Two is my my dad fought in it and talked about some of the stuff. He didn't talk about the battles. He just talked about some different things. He had a picture, and one of my brothers has got it. One of these days. It's going to be mine. But uh, Patton told the story about my father because he said 
my father and his crew were the only ones that ever made a, uh, a Sherman tank fly. And they were late for something. And there's a picture, a newspaper cameraman got it, of them coming over a ridge, and the tracks are all the way off the ground as they came over. And they were tr- wow. <laughs> trying to get there in time. But Patton saw it. And uh, I guess that became my father's kind of thing that he followed along with, that he could make a tank, That had, a that had to fly. be a hard landing. Yeah, <laughs> it probably was. I wouldn't have wanted to be in it, to be honest with you. All right, so let's talk a little bit. We've talked about what's coming with the Centennial. Let's talk about what the American Legion does. You guys are involved in a whole lot of things with veterans. Explain to the listeners. We, we do a multitude of things, uh, and the posts are free to determine what programs they want to pursue. Uh, but in large part, we support our veterans, care for our veterans, honor our veterans through a myriad of programs that uh, uh, would, would include, say, volunteering at uh, VA hospitals, um, you know, helping, helping them directly. We have 3,600 certified uh, veteran service officers around the country and around the world uh, that uh, uh, any veteran can go to and ask for assistance. Um, I believe we're the largest group of veteran service officers in in the world. And uh, um, we have other programs, children and youth programs, that are very important. Uh, You're probably familiar with American Legion Baseball. Yeah, I played it. Yeah. Okay, so we we have that. We have the American Legion uh, um, uh, Shooting Sports Program, the American Legion uh, uh, National High School Oratorical Contest, uh, we have a, uh, a law cadet program that is growing across the country. Uh, we support uh, Boy Scout uh, troops and uh, um, JROTC uh, units. And the posts are free to go even beyond that if they want to. If they want to do Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts or Girl Scouts, uh, Little Leagues, uh, we got our fingers in a little bit of everything because we're a community-based organization. Part of America. So absolutely, America. absolutely. All right, so financing. Who finances the American Legion? The members finance it through their dues. Now I wanted to get into this and talk about it. Yeah, the dues are broken down in a way that uh, the national organization gets a portion of them, the state organization gets a portion of them, and then uh, the remainder, uh, uh, well, I guess that's the – States and the post. states and yeah states and national mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that's what funds the American Legion. Uh, we do some fundraising. We fundraise for charities, and we have a number of charities. But one hundred percent of the income for those charities um, is spent on those charities, and it's uh, those funds are managed through uh, through the money that we pay in our dues. All right, so. Here's where I give you the time to talk to veterans who are out there. They're listening to the show, and you can make your your statements about why you want them to be a part of the American Legion. Well, because I am for many reasons. Uh, we would call this an elevator speech, and I'm going to make this a long elevator speech. But I think first of all, one of the things that uh, uh, that the American Legion has helped uh, our service members earn since its existence is benefits and those benefits were hard fought and the american legion stands ready on capitol hill to defend those benefits uh to enhance those benefits when we can 
um, to protect them. And there are times when uh, uh, when the uh, uh, legislators reach out to the American Legion and ask us to help author uh, legislation. Wasn't the American Legion uh, really kind of the point about uh, Agent Orange? Didn't they fight hard yes. about Agent Orange? Yes, and, and yes, they did. And uh, you know, the the, the VA um, at the time um, wanted to study um, the effects of Agent Orange. Uh, and, and that could have drug out for a long time. The American Legion. No, it would have drug out for a long yeah, time. And the American Legion was of the belief that the, that those service members needed to have assistance right away. Yeah. So disability benefits, uh, um, you know, getting care at uh, uh, VA medical centers. Yeah, we were we were a huge proponent of that. Well, and, you were instrumental in getting a lot of that. Then you guys yeah. walked the halls of Congress and yes. got that taken absolutely. care and of. And we're still yes. dealing with that today with a new act called the Blue Water Navy Act. Okay, and, and the that Blue is? Water Navy Act is an act uh, to to provide the same resources to those that served in the Blue Waters off of Vietnam during the Vietnam War, up to about twelve nautical miles. The VA recognizes some of the health conditions of those that served on those ships, and will treat and and provide benefits to. But there are others that have experienced unusual types of health issues that hmm. seem to be consistent with the service there. And of course, uh, uh, this legislation has has uh, moved forward. Uh, and was actually passed unanimously by the uh, House of Representatives, and it now sits in the, Vener- uh, the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, uh, waiting for that bill to be moved out onto the floor of the Senate for a vote. How difficult is it when you go to Congress now, and so few congressional members are veterans? Used to be there are veterans all over the place in congress that's not the way it is any longer no but this this last uh, this last group uh, this last election really added to uh, to the number of veterans up there uh, i won't say it's difficult um we have a lot of supporters out there that did not serve in the military mm-hmm. that, are, that are empathetic with uh, the causes that we go there for um, i won't say that's everybody um i'd like i wish i'd like to wish it was but uh uh you know that's not the way it is, and uh, uh, I'm just glad to see that uh, uh, with the uh, results of this past election, that we have more uh, veterans up on Capitol Hill. All right. Well, you do a great job, Artie. We'll let you finish well, it up. As, as you just said, you know, ex commander, how uh, difficult is it at this last at this last uh, past 115th Congress? The American Legion nationally had a hundred. We had 13 national legislative items that we were pushing through Congress. And out of that 13, five were passed. Now, that's almost a 40% success rate bad. there. So I think that we uh, in the American Legion are very successful uh, in many ways of lobbying for our veterans and their families mm-hmm. because that's the business that we're in is to fight for our veterans and their families. And you've heard me say before, Dave, how what we do in the American Legion is an extension of what we did in the military. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's an honor to be, a, uh, in terms of, of recruiting membership, any veteran that's eligible that served during a wartime situation and falls under the category of being eligible for membership in the American Legion, that is a right, that is an honor, because they served the country with honor, they served during a wartime conflict, that makes them eligible for membership. So it, we consider it an honor to be a member of this organization, and certainly the numbers do help us when we 
stormed the, the halls in Congress. When they see the American Legion coming to Washington D.C., I guarantee you they do get they we do get results. So there's a lot of success in that area. So strength in numbers. Anything else you wanted to add there, Commander? Absolutely. We didn't finish my elevator speech yet. <laughs> We're out of time. I'm sorry. Well, you have to just let RD and I help out with that. How's that? Well, if they go to legion.org, they can find out more about the American Legion, and, and that will tell more about what our organization does and why they should belong. Never be a stranger when you're in Arkansas. You've always got an open seat and an open microphone. Talk to my listeners. Dave, I appreciate that very much, and that was a wonderful experience being here and meeting you and uh, and talking to your listeners. All right. Great. You all have Thank a good you, afternoon, Thanks, and I will Dave. see you later when we come back. The Bible guys are here answering all your questions, 823-0965. All right, we move into our final hour for Tuesday, and that means that it's time for the Bible Guys. And uh, Scott Stewart is here. He is the pastor over at Agape Church. He has joined us. Steve, the heathen that he is, <laughs> is, is out deer hunting right now. Well, hopefully and, he's listening to us. Yes, and did I hear it right that he didn't make it to Sabbath this Sunday? Or Saturday? Uh, yes. He no did. comment yeah, from okay, me. Okay, no okay, comment. Okay. Well, I, I was taking uh, taking my privileges on, on, at church on Sunday, oh, making sure boy. that not only not only Steve but anybody else who just happened to uh, be uh, in the wrong place at in the, the wrong deer. Time. In yeah. the deer was, you, yeah. you might have mentioned it once or twice or like six <laughs> times before it was all said and done. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I I understand going out for a weekend. Yeah. I know guys that go out now and they don't come home until february are you serious i'm serious because once they once modern guns done then they pick up their bow again right yeah and but do these guys have a job they have well work yeah or, i started to say what what we, what we called that when i was young was a bad hunter because it should not take you four months to, to, to now, tag out now, so. in all honesty all right i went hunting for four years and and I saw one deer in that what? whole in that whole time. You were in the wrong place. Dave. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and they called me a hiker with a gun. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's what right. they were calling me. And then uh, I broke through, and I I got an eight point, and then I got a couple of does another year, and I haven't been out in the last three years. Just haven't had time. Yeah, I, I had a workman come to my house um, the other day, and uh, he was going to um, actually actually I had called uh, PI Roofing, as a matter of fact. Um, I was. I had a. Thank some, you, Jill Johnson. I had some leaks in my roof, and the first thing that popped in my head was PI roofing. So of I course, gave, gave him the call. They were. He was incredible. Great, great guy. If he, if he is what the company is, they're a great company. It's, it was. It was really good. But he came to my door with this look of, on his face of of of, of surprise. Oh, he saw something, and he said, he said. Uh, uh, do you do you allow hunting on your on your property? And I said, "Why is that?" And he said, "You won't believe what just happened. I was driving up your driveway. This deer jumped out in your driveway. He turned and looked at me. Eighteen point. Oh my! What? He said, "I reached into my <laughs> my uh, my pocket to pull out my phone, and just as I pulled my phone out." He took off. He said, so I missed it altogether. But he said, uh, how much would it cost for someone to actually uh, take a day out here? He was he was pretty, pretty amazed. He wanted that. Well, he, oh, my God. Your response was supposed to be, well, let's talk about the cost of this room. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, maybe we can barter yeah. something That's right. Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. But, yeah, that'd be... <laughs> That eighteen point. I've Holy never, that's, a, cow. that's a big deer. I'm mean, asking a lot of deer on our property. I've, I've never seen that that guy, that buck. 
Well, that's why he's got 18 points. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> he doesn't he's not making himself easy to be found. All that's right. true. No, let me remind you, Scott is over at Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive here in Little Rock. Their Sunday service times, 10 a.m., and their website is A-C-L-R, A as in Apple, C as in Charlie, L as in Laura, R as in uh, Return. Dot, oh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> dot O R G, uh, and you can find out all the information Why that you, you need right there. Why don't you just do A C L R as in Agape Church Little Rock? Yeah, that probably, probably be good way of reminding everybody. Uh, it didn't take me long to figure that out. And well, since, for a guy who works in the radio, I thought he might have come up with a better R to begin with. Yeah, so. really. Yeah. <laughs> L is in Laura, R is in radio. <laughs> anyway, with that all said, uh, also in the studio is Billy. Billy's been around a lot with us, and uh, it's good to have him back in, filling in mm-hmm. for Steve today. Thanks, sir. That would tell me that we really haven't lost anything. That's what right. We may have gained. Well, oh, well I appreciate now that. that. I well, appreciate let me ask you, do you have a Twitter account? I have a Twitter account. Then we yeah. have gained. Yeah, yes, there we absolutely. Go. We have somebody gained. who's in the 21st have, century. That's right. right. We have gained a Twitter account. <laughs> I like that. Else, so. I like that. All right, so we had a couple. You guys had a couple of questions that came in to you. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a call in, you want to make 8230965 is the question. 8230965. Uh, if you want to send me an email because you can't talk on the the phone or whatever at work, uh, send it to BibleGuys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. By the way, uh, my pastor, James Bennett, and his wife are in Israel today. Are they really? Yeah, they finally made their way over to Israel. I was really happy to hear that they were over there making their visit. He's never been there. His wife's been there three times before oh well so she's been kind of riding him about mm-hmm. is he over there with a is he there with the tour they just go i don't private? know okay. i have no idea i don't i didn't uh, get a chance to ask him it just came up uh sunday well he will come back different changed person he will yeah yeah you can't go over there and not be changed by it well by the way did you see hamas now wants uh the Egyptians to broker a ceasefire between them and Israel? Really? <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. Don't let the Israelis start shooting back. <laughs> they don't miss. <laughs> I want that to be happening. Oh, man. All right. So let's start off with you, Billy. You had a question. That, I did. That's what I asked you. So uh, you go ahead. So I had a question sent to me. It said, are all of the Bible guys active ministers? And if so... What advice for a young pastor? What advice would you have for a young pastor who's just getting started in the ministry? Uh, I'm going to assume that the is everyone an active minister probably is directed at me because I think yours and Steve's positions are uh, pretty clear. Uh, yes, I am active in the ministry. Um, I minister uh, on at least a weekly basis, uh, primarily out at Tucker Maximum Security Prison, uh, where I act uh, out there on behalf of the Sabbath service. Um, and for advice, I think I'll kick it to you first. How's that? Okay. Um, I would just uh, encourage this uh, young pastor. We don't really have a lot of details on this person, but uh, uh, I would say, first of all, uh, make sure that you are have had the, the proper education that you need to be teaching the people that are under you. As a minister, uh, the Bible actually tells us this. It says, those who, are, who teach the Word of God 
are actually judged more harshly mm-hmm. than those who do not. So by putting or by by having yourself put in the ministry, uh, you automatically have put yourself in a place where where uh, God is going to be expecting out of you more than the regular uh, parishioner. Yes, sir. Okay, for people to think about that, if you're wanting to be uh, a pastor, a leader of a flock, mm-hmm. be in of people. You should be called absolutely first to and do foremost. That. Yeah. That's foremost uh, thing that you know. And if and if you're called, know that means that lays a heavy responsibility on you. That's correct. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and back up and, and just go ahead and underscore that if if you are if you've taken this position because it was um, uh, you know something that maybe your dad or your grandfather did and you think it's kind of a family thing to do, <clears throat> I would avoid not doing that. You definitely need a calling from God to do it, um, and um, because. Quite honestly, what you um, you know what you expect in ministry is typically what you do not find. It's a lot different than what you think it is. So, you need a calling to be in that. But then beyond that, you need to make sure that you are uh, that you've educated yourself uh, in um, in in the Word of God. And I encourage you to go to a uh, to a seminary or a Bible college that would would equip you. And I would strongly encourage you to go to a college that would equip you from a Hebraic standpoint. As a matter of fact, there is a place called the American Institute which you can uh, hook up with, uh, and uh, we'd be happy to help walk you uh, through that. But um, I encourage you to um, make sure that you get yourself some – affirm your calling, make sure you have the education behind you, and then spend a lot of time in in, in prayer and then follow the direction of the Lord for your life. Okay, so let me throw this out to both of you because you brought seminary up, Yeah. right? Uh, I went to Southwest Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. Now, they teach – from a decided Southern Baptist sure. theological standing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going into the ministry, is it a, a good idea to try to wipe from yourself that I want to believe in a specific, you know, uh, theological statement of a faith, or and and try to do? I think what you all do. Uh, Scott, and you do it as as well, Billy, of learning Hebrew well, learning Greek well, and learning what the scriptures really say and not what a, what men may have said, scripture said, and it's been carried down uh, over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think most of your theological seminaries, they Did teach— Did I say that yes, politically correct? That was, that was very well done, Okay, Dave. thank you. <laughs> Most of your theological seminaries will teach the theology of a particular denomination, sure. and we don't we don't think that that is the the way to do this. We think you just teach the theology of the scripture, um, you know. And I, we go back to you know whenever um, whenever the um, disciples are baptizing, and and Paul says some of you are saying you're of Kephas, and some of you are saying that you're of Apollos, and he said, "Is Christ divided?" Uh, and so basically he's saying, you say you're of this group, you say you're of that group. He says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you because I don't right. want anybody saying I'm of the Paul group. He said, so these sectarian group identities really are not uh, unifying. They're more divisive than any, is it, anything else. So so teaching strictly just as what does the Scripture say, and then you let the Holy Ghost lead you as to what uh, you know camp, quote-unquote, you might fall into. But if you go to a theological seminary, you're going to be taught the theology of that denomination, and it's just better to be taught the Scripture as the Scripture stands. Absolutely. And I would add to that, um, so we talked about truth. Um, the other half of the equation is spirit. And 
you, by taking on the mantle of minister, um, you have declared yourself for one side of a fight. Mm. Um, you must be prepared for that fight. Uh, the the thing I always talk to young ministers about is your prayer life. I will, yeah. if you're considering ministry, uh, I want to know about your prayer life mm-hmm. first. Uh, I cannot overstate how important your prayer life is. Agreed. Um, you are entering into a fight, and your primary tool is staying close to God, and that's going to happen through prayer. Um, you've got to stay prayed up. You've got to stay close, and you need people praying for you. If you already have uh, a, an active ministry, and you've got people that you are ministering to, um, you need to be reaching out to those that you trust, and yeah. that you, when they tell you tell you that they're praying for you, you know they're actually praying for you. Let's yeah. face it; we all know some will tell you that, but yeah. aren't necessarily doing that mm-hmm. uh, because you need that support. Um, prayer it has to be a vital part. Uh, yes, reading the Word of God is, is is super important. Yes, knowing the truth is super important, but if you are neglecting your prayer life, you are setting yourself up for the enemy to come in and do significant damage. Yeah. Prayer is the, is, the, is, the, um, is the fuel that runs the engine. Absolutely. So you've got to have the prayer. And I would also encourage the, the young minister out there, you need to make sure that you're doing this the Bible way. And, and when I say that, what I mean is you need to be discipled by somebody, you don't just, you don't just, you don't need to just be taught something. You need to have a mentor in your life. The scripture says, Paul actually says, he says, although we may have ten thousand teachers in Christ, we don't have many fathers. Right, and you need to make sure you you're submitted yourself to a father, someone who can disciple you, just like. Just like Moses discipled Joshua and Elijah discipled Elisha and Jesus discipled the disciples right. and Paul and, and Barnabas discipled Paul and Paul discipled Timothy. This is a, a biblical pattern which we have abandoned today because we can, you know, more or less just, a, well, if I don't like what you say, I'll just go find me somebody else. Mm-hmm. You need to be submitted to someone who is a mentor or a disciple in your life and be accountable. Uh, to somebody, one right. of the one, Go ahead. one of the best statements actually comes from the centurion when he says, "I am a man under authority mm-hmm. and a man of authority." Notice that it was not just one or the other; uh, he had both in his life. I have both in my life. I have people that I minister to, but I have people that I'm accountable to. I have people that I, uh, we, we should all still be growing and learning. Uh, I have people that I'm learning from. I have people that I remain accountable to. Yeah. Um, you have to have these things in your life, or you'll find yourself walking a strange path. You'll you'll find yourself with another gospel yeah, there you go all right so you mentioned uh, scott about seminaries being you know certain schools of theology and things of that nature mm-hmm. should a person go out and look for somebody that has a, a, a seminary that has no basic belief system except christ you know sacrifice christ risen from the grave Christ back on the right hand side of the Father. I mean, yeah. that type of theology. I, I would. I mean, if you and if you and that's typically going to mean more of your smaller um, mm-hmm. private schools. Um, if you go to any of the major ones, they're all going to be denominationally affiliated, which means they're going to be denominationally um, orientated theologically. So they're going to be more more than likely the smaller the smaller ones. And typically, those are, are better for finding um, mentors and things. So look, but if you're if you're studying to go into ministry, you should be actively involved in a local church, and that should provide you a good uh, discipling environment. Um, you know, and that might be through a small group. It might be through you know serving on a serve team or something like that, where you are. Having some people that are are over you, and that's what I, that's what I did when I first started wanting to get into ministry. I looked for a need in the church, went and submitted myself to that need. I I I cleaned toilets 
just because I wanted, I knew God had a call in my life. Okay, what can I do to serve the kingdom of God? And they said, we have toilets need to be clean. And I said, I'll clean a toilet. I'll, and then I and I also then I worked in children's ministry. I did puppet ministry. Yep. Whatever I could, you know, my heart <laughs> was to just be involved in the ministry. And wherever the door was open, I jumped in it. And um, and I was everywhere uh, in the ministry. And then one day God said, okay, here's the open door, and this is where I want you to go. And I've spent you know over half my life overseas. All right, let's get a break in. You got a question? Send it to uh, Bible Guys at salemlr.com or call us 501-823-0965 I thought that was a great segment of a lot of information and very good information uh, for our questioner when we come back I know Scott's got a question then we'll be looking for you to come in and ask some questions as well here at uh, the Dave Ellswick show lots of big changes going on over at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics finishing up their uh a demo in addition to their location on 12th Street, which was their first location uh, when they started Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. Now they're updating it to meet for the 21st century and uh, making it a state-of-the-art facility with the latest technology in prosthetics and orthotics. Uh, one of the great things that they have going on over at uh, 12th Street is the area they have for women who have had breast cancer, or have just had uh, their breasts removed because maybe they know their chances of getting breast cancer are high, and then they're going to want a prosthetic uh, to uh, you know keep their self-esteem up and things of that nature. And they've got a great area that they put together, privacy, comfort. It's not antiseptic. It's not looks doesn't look like a doctor's location, kind of a, a homey kind of atmosphere where you can relax, talk with the team they have there to take good care of you because that's what Horton prides itself on is their patient relationships located now with this location Little Rock North Little Rock Bryant Conway Fort Smith and Searcy that's Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics providing a lifetime of support all right before we start on the uh, next uh, question we've got about two minutes before news so let's give ourselves plenty of time to answer it Uh, and let me give you plenty of time uh, uh, Scott, talk a little bit about uh, Hanukkah. When does it come up? Yeah, the Hanukkah is early this year. I think I'm not sure the date. Second, is, is September it second? the second. Yeah, December the December second. second. December. Yeah. I ran across uh, a menorah and some candles and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to set up a little area. I'll get rid of thump. Okay. We'll move over and we'll set it up here. Okay. So our our viewers on. Uh, you know, Facebook be able to see it during the course that Hanukkah is going on. Great, so we can light it and show them how to yeah how to light the candles sure. and things like that. We'll Perfect. do all of that for yeah. everybody, so everybody can watch it and know and know that it's it's not the Jewish form of Christmas, <laughs> right? No. A lot of people think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, similarities, but they're they're very yeah they're pre- two different presents. things. That's the only similarity I know. I mean, well, it's not like there's a there's, Jesus Santa or something. <laughs> no, no. There's a couple other uh, uh, similarities, uh, but um, I mean, we don't have time to go into them now. But there right. are there are some other things that are that they do have that are similar to that. Um, but um, we're going to have to get on this starting next week. You realize yep. that. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah I guess so. We'd be running out of time. Right. we got two weeks then. Yep. Early this year. Very wow. early yeah. this year. Yeah. So anyway, we'll bring that up. News is coming up next, so 
Get ready next Tuesday for your first look at Hanukkah, and if you want to, you know, do some of that with your uh, uh, family, how you do it, and what it all means. That's all coming your way in, a, in another week, but right now, here's the news. All right, we are back, and that means we can get to the next question, which I will turn over to Scott. Scott Stewart is the pastor at Agape, and also Billy Miller is here, and Billy works over with the uh, uh, Tucker unit and does his ministry there, and they're answering any questions you might have that uh, you got biblical questions. I mean, you have questions you might not believe anything that the Bible says. You want to challenge one of these guys to prove it or whatever go right ahead the, the phone lines are yours a two three oh nine six five or if you can't call just text me or email me at uh, bible guys at salem com. all right scott you've got a question go ahead yeah um when when praying for miracles when they do not happen wow why do they ha- do they not happen? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, and I think that the um, the why question is as as broad as it is people asking it, um, and it could be a, a multiplicity of uh, of things. Uh, obviously, we don't know the condition of the heart of the person asking for the uh, the miracle. We don't know how the person asking is praying. We don't know. Um, you know, if the person is living in outright, you know, sin and rebellion against God and just saying, hey, God, help me. Or, I mean, we, it's, it's, uh, it's not specific enough, uh, I don't think, to be able to give it a definitive answer. But let me just say this, um, that one thing you have to do if you're, if you're going to approach God for a miracle, one thing you have to get really clear in your heart is two things, God's ability and God's willingness. Um, I think most people believe God is able to do it um the question comes down to is he willing uh to do it um and if both of those is yes if he's both is able and willing then why don't we see um the miraculous um happen and i'm just going to read a quickly um a story here this is in um mark's gospel chapter six and in mark six jesus actually goes to his hometown and he's back in his hometown and he is um confronted by people and they're talking and um and jesus makes a statement uh and he says and a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house and um he makes that statement because he's back in his own hometown to do miracles and and wonderful mighty deeds and the next verse says this now he could do no mighty work there except lay his hands upon a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief so if you think if you think about this for a moment jesus goes to his hometown and the bible says he could not do any mighty work there it doesn't say he didn't want to didn't say he didn't have the ability didn't say he didn't have the will of course he had the will and the ability that's why he was there sure but it says he couldn't except heal a few sick folk. Now, this is odd because in the other stories, it says, and the whole town came together and he healed them all. Oh, mm-hmm. But here he heals, he heals a few. Why? The next part of the verse says he marveled because of their unbelief, which I think was based in their lack of respect for him. as They didn't accept him as um, being a, a, a person of, um, of honor. Uh, and uh, I think this 
this question comes out of we had a, a minister at our church a few weeks ago um and he he ministers a lot uh in um africa india places like that and he has incredible miracles happening yeah and the question is if they happen there why aren't they happening here why aren't the why mir- don't they happen here why aren't the miracles happening here and i think a lot of it i think is answered here when it says the prophet's not without honor i think americans are so cynical oh He's just a faith healer. Yeah, he'll pray nah. for you, and you'll lose your healing next Benny week. Benny oh. okay, seen yeah. this, done that. Yeah, you really you're going to go and listen to that person, and we're, we're very, very cynical. Very little honor is given to the uh, to the gift or the the the, the person within that's carrying the anointing. And then what follows up on that is a lack of belief. He says they marveled at their unbelief, and that's why he lamented and said, "A prophet's not without honor, except people who know him really well." It's part of that because the United States, and you got to understand, I'm talking from. A philosophical point right now, not from, I'm going to use a word that means two different things. Materialistic philosophy, I'm not talking about money here, I'm talking about matter here. Mm-hmm. Right. Is is that why that's a problem in this country is because we're steeped in that? I think part of it, yeah. I think that we have, um, also I think that we've learned to trust government. Yep. We've learned to lean on our medical profession. Ooh, you just said that was our God. You know that. Uh, I think a lot of, to a lot of people it, it is. It really is. Our, our doctors are our gods. You know, whenever I lived in – Europe has, Europe has the same issue. Uh, yet when I lived in Panama, I would pray for people in Panama and speak the word in Panama just like I did when I lived in Sweden with demonstrably different results. Uh, in Sweden, I tried to get people to – walk in faith and to trust God and to step out and and walk by what you believe and not by what you see. It was the hardest thing to get people to do that. Yeah. And then I found out later we'll get more about the Swedish system. And you know in Sweden, if you had Billy, if you wanted to start a new company, you would petition the government and say, I want to start this ice cream company. And you would present to them a a budget for a year, the machinery you would need, how many people do you want, you'd want to hire and the government would give you all the money up front. Wow. You don't have to pay it back. Good God. And if, if, if the thing folds, you walk away with all the computers, all the, all the stuff. So Everything. you just need to start a new business every year. That, and you know what? A lot of Pe- people People do have that. learned how to milk the, milk the system. I bet. And guess what? If you, if you have a government doing that, their question is, why, why, why walk out in why faith? Why, yeah. I mean, I can just tell the government that I want something. I don't have to well, have faith. I've got the government. And right. that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do right. to undermine our faith in God and want to put faith in uh, in man. And so by default, a lot of times we we look skeptical. Amazing. We skeptically look at the man of God who says, if I lay hands on you, I'll heal you because this is what the word says. But we don't look skeptically upon people that are saying, "Well, vote for me, and I'll make sure you get all the goodies in your, right. you know, in your whole life, whatever you, whatever you want." Vote for me, and I'll make and you free. And they'll believe more in man than in God. And, and there is a there is a deeper principle here. Um, in that, l- let's say that God chose um, to just go ahead and heal everyone. What happens when someone approaches God and they don't really believe, and yet they receive their healing anyway? Um, this has done a disservice to the character and nature of God, while at the same time undermining uh, because what they're then going to do is associate that healing with the person rather than with God mm-hmm. um, it, we, we we put ourselves in a position by not having faith and that's what's going on in this set of, of scriptures here we put ourselves in a position where if God were to heal he would do himself a disservice and uh, endanger our immortal souls um, the last thing in the world we want to do 
is dissuade people of the need for holiness and righteousness and right standing with God by letting them have the healing they so desperately need without a change, without faith, without a relationship with God. Um, And furthermore, what is the purpose of the gifts? The gifts were to glorify God. Yeah. Uh, that's the reason they work so well in countries that need God so badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, countries that are, haven't already accepted God and then turned around and rejected him. And that is the primary purpose, uh, the primary problem in the U.S. It's not that we are unchurched. It's that we have chosen to reject church. We were a churched nation, period, plain and simple. And yet we've gotten to the place where, as all good empires do, we've gotten comfortable enough. We now have our sport and our bread. And I'd really really not sacrifice for religion, um, particularly a God who requires some things of me. And that, the whole thing about the requirement, this this new uh, hyper grace teaching, where now there's no <sighs> God, there's no requirements on anything. I did I did a series on grace, trying to show people that this whole, this whole thing is is uh, salacious. It's 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 false. It's false grace. It's not the Bible Bible grace. But back on uh, what he was saying, that's from the pit of hell. It, 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 it really it, is. And it has taken, people are lost still. Yeah. That's right. And this idea that there's no longer any requirement from a holy, just God is is beyond. It's, I mean, it's incredulous. You just, you cannot believe it to be true. Yet people love it, and that's why the Bible says, "In the end of times, people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears." That's right. Tell me something pleasant. Tell tickle me what my I want. Ears, tickle please. my ear. Yeah. But look at this story here. This is two chapters over. Jesus goes to Bethsaida, and he's as he's there. They bring a blind man to him in verse number 22 of chapter 8. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the man by the hand, led him out of town. And when he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, they asked if he saw anything. And he looked and he said, I see men walking as trees. Then he put his hands on him again. And he looked up and he was restored and he saw all men clearly. Now, if we believe that Jesus is om- om- omnipotent, the, the father why did jesus want him to be healed the first time he laid hands on him of course he did sure but was he no jesus had to this is the only time in the bible where jesus has to pray twice, twice. for somebody mm-hmm. to be healed <laughs> but and we believe that he is the same yesterday today and forever so this person asking about miracles maybe they asked for their miracle one time and then walked away when they didn't see anything happen Sometimes you've got to stand your ground and continue to uh, petition the Lord because you don't know the spiritual environment that you're in. Look what look at this story here. The Bible says Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town yep. before he prayed yep. for him. Sometimes you've got to get out of where you are to get what you need to get from God. And some of you are stuck in dry holes hits and you you're believing god and nothing is happening i'm going to tell you jesus might be trying to take you by the hand and get you out of where you are so you can bring into your life what you need sometimes it is your location you need to get under the spout where the glory is coming out you need to put yourself in the right place to hear from god at the right time and you can say well i know i'm in this dried up old church and i know we don't believe god does miracles today but if god really wants me to get a gets a miracle to me he'll do it well obviously you've not read this verse of scripture (laughs) and this is your inconvenient truth Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If this is the way he was in the Bible, it's the way he is today. And some of you are just going to have to get out of where you're at and get to where God wants you to be to be able to receive what he wants you to receive. And get over yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. When we come back, I I can't. I remembered something I wanted to ask you about, uh, okay. Scott, uh, although we got a call coming in, and if I get a call, I'll take the call first. Mine can wait until next week and Hanukkah. But uh, 
Have you heard about this new religion with uh, artificial intelligence being God? Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm a tad bit familiar with what's going on there, yes. Okay, so. I'm going to bring it to you when we come back, if we have time, but we've got a call first. But we got to get a – no, it's not us? Okay, so I'll take it when we come back. Don't forget about our friends over at Applied uh, Research – Clinical research studies exploring the safety and effectiveness of an investigational drug. They got a lot of drugs they're investigating. They need participants for this. To find out if you qualify, you go to abcarkansas.com, abcarkansas.com, and uh, there'll be a pull-down area for you under each of these different uh, uh, research, clinical research studies you're doing, and you can see to be able to qualify what you got to be able to do. So uh, you can go to arcarkansas.com. You can look at all, all of them. You can see which ones you want to see if uh, you want to be involved in. There is compensation, and uh, they'll help you out uh, with that part of it. Again, arcarkansas.com. Call 501-954-7822. That's Applied Research. All right, AI as God. AI as God. All right. Look, I just think the present generation has been set up for this. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no doubt it's been set up for this. What is going to be created will effectively be a god. It's not a god in the sense that it makes lightning or causes hurricanes. Uh, Lewandowski, people who know anything about Google and and Uber and things Mm -hmm. of that nature Mm -hmm. will know that guy's name. But if there is something a billion times smarter than the smartest human, what else are you going to call it? Right. But God. But if it's so clever, why can't it make lightning or cause a hurricane? It just takes a little global warming, surely. I'm enraptured by the fact that here's what it's called, Way of the Future. Now has a website, wayofthefuture.church. Dot church. That suggests mm-hmm. celestial pretensions. I fear, though, that some of its content's going to cause an ungodly onset of teeth gnashing. Here's the very first line. Way of the future is about creating a peaceful and respectful transition of who is in charge of the planet from people to people plus machines. Right. Machines, question mark. Has the site taken on the inverted comma vernacular of the average Donald Trump tweet? We're surely talking about machines, those plain, simple engineering creations. Way of the future, though, can't stop talking about it. Given that technology will relatively soon be able to surpass human abilities, we want to help educate people about this exciting future and prepare (coughs) a smooth transition. Relatively soon, well, Google's director of engineering, Ray Kurzweil, believes humans will robot be robot hybrids reboot into their own brains basically by 2030 yep um is that relatively soon enough it seems disturbingly soon to me yeah uh he probably is contrary to most of the futurists that i follow um and that they put that date closer to 2025 at this point rather than 2030 um so really in order to discuss this we have to very briefly talk about the two different forms of ai um there is task specific ai and those are things like the self-driving cars Um, yes self-driving cars are already capable of driving on the roads better and safer than we as human beings are 
Um, they are designed for a task. However, uh, it, it can't go out and plant your garden for you because it's not what it does. Uh, and really, task-specific AI, we don't have to worry about too much. It is designed to do a thing, and it does that. However, there is another form of AI, and that's called general-purpose AI. General-purpose AI is the thing um, – there was an article – in a British um, journal, and I'll forget which journal it was. That Lancet said, or something like that. We are opening Pandora's box and letting out the demon. Yeah. Um, that one is uh, – here's the premise. Um, the problem that humans have from generation to generation with, with increasing our intellect is that every generation – the previous generation has to teach the next generation everything it's going to know. Uh, a child does not come into this world knowing much, and as far as um, knowledge is concerned, it must be taught before it can reach a point of maturity. This is not true for computers. Um, computers can simply replicate themselves. We can take the software and copy it off of one and place it onto another. So the moment a general purpose AI becomes as capable as we are at designing things, the very first thing it will design is a better AI, mm-hmm. which, of course, is then su- capable of creating even better AI. And there comes a point, the moment, and it's called the, the point of singularity, the moment that general purpose AI becomes as intelligent as human beings, in the next instance, it becomes more intelligent than human beings. And they estimate on in a matter of days to weeks, uh, it becomes more intelligent than every human being that has ever lived. And then uh, in that same sort of a time scale, uh, more intelligent than every human being who has ever lived combined. So everybody then has to enter into, quote, the matrix. Well, so the first thing that they predict will happen is that um, it will solve, quote, all the world's problems. Now, this is a task that we know who is supposed to belong to. That particular task is supposed to belong to the Messiah Uh when he returns. Uh, And we are told that here right at the end uh, of human history that we're going to have something rise up um, that is going to claim to be able to do what Messiah is capable of doing. Um, trust me, this is an industry I work in. I, I work in the um, cybersecurity industry. Uh, I work with artificial intelligence on a day-to-day basis. Um, this stuff that's coming down the road, and I've been saying for a while now, it's scary. Um, if if I can look at Scripture, and again, I'll do that from a Greek mindset, trying to figure everything out mm-hmm. rather than simply saying it is what it is, um, I can see how technology and the place we are heading fulfills a lot of the pictures that are painted for end-time events, um, uh, worshiping an image. Well, we're not talking about an actual person. We're talking about an AI. We're not talking about an actual perp- uh, person. We're talking about an image. We're talking about um, the, the, the stuff between our ears that makes up I- intelligence. Uh, what happens when something that is a billion times smarter than humans decides it knows how to fix all of our problems? And all we need to do, by the way, is get rid of all those pesky Christians because they won't listen to anything regardless of how important it is for the rest of humanity. Um, that is a scary place to be in. But um, that is kind of the position God has always brought us to mm-hmm. right before he's willing to step in and go, okay, uh, now that y'all have f- found your point of submission, now that you understand what the, the real situation is, uh, the church has always prospered the most when it was persecuted the most. And there will be no greater time in history than those end-time events, which probably also means we're looking at our greatest persecution. Surely the there's a difference between something that just accumulates data and something that has the ability to make a decision 
on its own volition or an emotional quotient that is not. That's what's scary about AI. There's no emotion involved in it, and emotion is intuition. It's it's a it's a feeling, something that cannot be replicated by by wires and electricity at the, at least not at the moment anyway i mean even data on enterprise had no emotion but we already have drones that are capable of choosing their own targets and executing their own target packages when mm-hmm. we hand over when we hand over the right to make life and death decisions to a computer how much easier is it to hand over moral decisions how far We're already are we really from terminator uh, uh, it's, uh, Google's close. I yeah, promise. we're close. Google's close. We're close. All right. Anyway, got another show coming up next Tuesday. Remember that. And uh, we'll talk about Hanukkah. That's going up next week. We're out of time. Scott, thank you very much. Thank you, Billy, for coming in. Steve, I hope you got a deer. We'll talk to you again next Saturday, or, uh, uh, Tuesday as well. Have a good evening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.